Testing. One. Oh, one. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name's Fred Rojas, and joining me from Hill Valley, California, is none other than Mr. Jam Elias. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very good, Fred. I think Hill Valley is probably a lot better weather than I'm having in the UK at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it depends on what part. I hear Hilldale's a little rough, but <laughs> yeah. uh, other than that, I think you'll be good. Um, oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, so how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Fred. I'm as sore as anything at the moment because I've started a new workout regime, of all things. <laughs> oh, me too, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's what happens when you get old. Well, yeah. well, I'm not as old as you. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> dick. But I, probably, I probably have, oh, I probably am way out of shape compared to you because you, you swim and stuff, don't you? Yes, but I've switched it up now. Now I also do rowing. Oh, really? And you want to hurt? Do some rowing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh,. Cool. Well, as long as it's not hurting you too much, you're not doing that CrossFit shit, are you? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just, oh. uh, I'm kind of keeping it basic at the moment. I was supposed to really kind of get in shape last year, but fuck, you know, life happens. Yeah, 2014 <laughs> was a bad year to get <laughs> yeah. in shape. But, just but no, the I, Xbox One. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, no, it's, I'm um, starting with some steady stuff. Uh, but it's supposed to, I'm actually, I'm actually trying to, I'm actually doing some weight stuff, which is quite new for me, actually. And boy, does that, um, you know, I don't know, cause I, I've been kind of using a, a kind of like a semi, not like a proper personal trainer, but getting some advice from someone that's really into it. And you don't realize sort of like how much stuff you're supposed to like lift to get, to get the right, for what he recommends anyway. But anyway, I don't know, this is supposed to be a gaming podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, anything else happen this week, gaming related and or otherwise? Gaming related, uh, well, well, this week, well, this week's really the hunt for the correct snatcher emulator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want me to, I can just open up with that uh, that email right now. Let me pull it up real quick. Uh, may as well. Um, okay, so um, we had. Uh, well, he just calls himself Tim, uh, and his email is none of your business at at yahoo.com i doubt that's his real email (laughs) but uh but anyway um yeah so tim writes in and he says uh hey guys uh loving the show um really intrigued to be doing the uh the snatcher and uh police knots episode however i do have a quick question for you i have noticed that anytime i try to play snatcher um I have not had any uh, any luck. Once I get to going over to the robot factory, it tends to freeze, or it gets caught into a weird loop. Well, I looked into this jam, and if you're going to uh, if you're going to play the uh, uh, snatcher, you're gonna have to find a good rip, and there are lots of bad rips out there. So. Um, let's see here. There are two emulators that support uh, Sega CD. There's Kega Fusion, K-E-G-A, and Gens, G-E-N-S. I don't know which one supports BinQ format. Now we're going to get a little geeky here for a second. This is me talking to everybody. Um, do you Are you familiar with how like emulator CD games and whatnot work, Jim? Do you use them very often? 
Well, the CD, CD ones are actually a new one to me. I'm more, I'm more used to the kind of like yeah, the old cartridge emulated stuff. Right, which are just ROMs. Um, yeah, nowadays, exactly. there's kind of two ways you'll get it. Uh, these days, you'll either get an ISO image, uh, which is commonly referred to with, uh, um, you know, with with CDs, uh, but the tracks themselves will um, actually be either wave or MP3s. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to put them all in the same folder, and it'll run it. Well. That seems to be having some problems, but that's the most common way. That's the best way to play Sega CD stuff. Well, apparently, uh, it's either Kega Fusion or Gens. I don't know which one. One of those supports BinQ format. Now, when you literally put a disc in your drive and want to rip it, you can rip it in one of two forms, and one of those is BinQ, which is binary. That's what the bin is, the dot .bin. It's the whole disc image in binary format. And the dot .q tells a CD burner how it's uh, supposed to take that binary code and break it up into the image disk. It kind of is the blueprints for how to take all that data and put it in the bundles that people want. Um, re-imaging is what it basically is. Well, the plus side is certain emulators can use it, and it's been my experience from looking online and stuff like that. Now, I had the game proper, so I didn't have to deal with that. Um, but when I started doing some research for this, wow, yeah, it's a problem. And yeah. I can tell you right now where you don't want to go look, but you don't want to go too crazy. Uh, apparently, the one at the ISO zone is broken. The one at MU Paradise is broken. The one at Cool ROM is broken. Those are those tend to be... Oh, no, wait. The one at Cool ROM may work. Mm-hmm. Cool ROM may be one you want to check. ROM Hustler is another. Those are the two that you kind of want to look into. And just so everybody knows, I highly recommend you getting the USA version. Um, Mm. Be careful when you're going to these nefarious sites, and and good luck to you. However, um, another option is if you know someone like me who can rip one for you. But unfortunately, guys, I can't distribute those out. That would be illegal, so I can't do that. Um, But if you do know somebody who has the game... And I can justifiably see why they wouldn't want to loan it to you because I think right now the U.S. version starts at disc only for like 400 bucks. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so Snatcher is one of those ones. And that's what cracks me up. As I'm looking for help on this stuff, I'm looking through forums and a bunch of people are like, don't be a dirty fucking pirate. And da, da, da. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you want to talk about this, uh, yeah, this and Panzer Dragoon Saga are the two where it's like, I do not judge you one bit. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, the other plus side to BinQ format is if you get a burning software such as um, uh, image burn. Mm-hmm. You can just burn this to any CD and it'll work fine in your Sega CD. Um, now, Jam, in your case, to get it to work for Mega CD, yeah, yeah. there is a way you can do it, actually. Oh, really? There yeah. is patching software that will change the region so that when you burn it to a disk, uh, you, you basically patch the binary code, and then when you burn it to a disk, it will, uh, it will be the exact same game, only it will just think it's region Europe. Um, Although, now that I think about it, you might have some problems with that whole PAL NTSC thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, but however you want to do it is how you can do it. Um, but I can tell you, confirmed, the MU Paradise and the ISO Zone, which are probably some of the most dependable emulator sites out there, um, do not have the working version. It's a bad rip. So, um, again, it's either ROM Hustler or Cool ROM. One of those two has the right one. The best way to tell is if you... Um, if you extract it, it'll say bin Q. Here's another little hint, uh, is the name of it. It will be called Snatcher, parentheses, Sega CD, parentheses, close parentheses, then another parentheses, U, hyphen, redump. So if that's the name of the, uh, 
the uh, item you're going to download, then you're probably onto the right track. Uh, the only reason I'm helping people find this stuff without actually giving it, giving you a, an address or anything, um, is because this is a great game and it's going to be really hard to find. And Sparky Kestrel in the chat is saying, "Makes me glad I've got an original copy of Snatcher." Yeah, I used to joke that like my version with the sticker on it stuff. Maybe I'll take a picture of my one with the West Coast video sticker kind of infused to it. Uh, was kind of uh, you know was kind of seen as like this this chachi. Like when I played Magic, Black Lotus was the most popular, and I found one that had been like run over by a truck that was in like terrible condition. It was in such bad condition you couldn't play with it because people would know it was the Black Lotus. But then they started making sleeves where you couldn't see through them. And so then it became playable again. And suddenly it breathed new life into it. I feel the same way about Snatcher right now. Is that I got this dirty ass, like, forgotten to history copy that I picked up for, like, 35 bucks on eBay, like, five years ago. And now it's finally, like, worth its weight. But, again, anybody who wants to, especially if you're running the United States version on the United States game. Uh, you can just uh, burn a copy and it'll work on your Sega CD. No copy protection needed. So uh, that's probably the preferred method. But if you got to use an emulator, pick whichever one uses uh, the bin Q method. Also, Jam, if you want to know how to play the unrated version, I figured that out as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Uh, when you, uh, which there are very minuscule changes. Uh, mostly, there is a shower scene with I think like steamy boobs or something. But the <laughs> the reason I want it is there is a scene, and again, we've not played Snatcher. There's a scene in a bar. We've talked yeah, about that's this. What, that's what I know about. Where there's yeah. a bunch of guys hanging around a table, and in the Japanese version, it's the predator, it's yeah, the yeah. <laughs> the alien, and all that stuff. So. Uh, so I once says I got the Japanese version for the Saturday. Uh, no, I can't read Japanese for shite. Yeah, you <laughs> might not want to play that version either uh, because uh, this game is all fucking text. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barely any voice at all. <laughs> this game does that mix and match of text and voice. And so there's a couple of times in any scene where they'll talk. But it, you are literally navigating menus of text. It's very non-point-and-click adventure, actually. Uh, you're just hunting for the right thing without making too stupid a decision. Um, the shooting works too well. The shooting works well too. If you got a gun, I've I've heard that if you don't have a gun, that can also be a very annoying uh, scene. You know what I mean? But maybe maybe that emulator has a way where you can turn the mouse pointer into the gun because you actually set it up on the main menu of the game. You set it up to like gun and controller. But anyway. Back to the beginning. At the very beginning of your game, when you're at Junker Headquarters, yes, they're called Junkers. Yes, it's an acronym. We'll talk about it on the show. Um, but uh, you go see this massive computer that you can log into. And Jam, like everybody talks about that scene only being 10 minutes long, unless you're me. You can literally read the archives that will tell you like a uh, an Elder Scrolls size backstory on how history has gotten to where it's gotten, this dystopian society, everything about the Junkers and the Snatchers, which are the robots you're going after, and history and, like, Neo... It's not Neo-Tokyo, it's Neo-something else. But it tells you, like, all this background information, but it's literally, like, books of stuff to read. And it took me, like, 45 minutes to go through all of it, but I did. But on that computer, there is a time where you can look up an ID. And if you look up an ID... It'll tell you you can type in the first name, the last name, or just one of the names. And when you input the name, just put in Konami, you'll hear the very familiar Konami bling. And uh, there you go. You're going to be playing the version that has Alien and Predator in it. So anyway, Sparky Kestrel says, I found it infuriatingly hard to get past the hyper up in Sector scene in the third act without a gun. 
Yeah, that's what I've heard too. For uh, the one or two game clubs that I've heard, I've listened to a Snatcher game club, but thankfully I wasn't paying much attention. And it wasn't the Watch Out for Fireballs one. Um, but apparently, if you are uh, not using a light gun, the the shooting stuff can be terrible. And uh, thank you, Sparky and Fortingard, for it's Neo Kobe City. So it's the new best type of beef city, and I am aware that Kobe is not just for beef. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So oh, and he says it. Guard says it has a sweet sax song in the intro that's called that. So that cool. Oh, that yeah. that intro is apparently called Neo Kobe City. It's a fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic. Uh, um, uh, song but uh yeah i'm already about three hours into snatcher and i'm having fun but i can already see with the first light gun scene how that would get frustrating with a cursor um if anybody has had the unfortunate uh chance to watch um some of my uh my my retro game nights from this week you'll notice my aiming is a hell of a lot better in crypt killer when i'm using an actual light gun than it is on Mad Dog McCree. Yeah. <laughs> did you get a chance to look at that? that? Yeah. God, did that not make you want to ever play Mad Dog McCree? Yes, I, I, you, I thought Fred liked this game. I do like that game, but <laughs> yeah. I like it with a light gun. I had to go to my Sega CD and be like, I'm putting in this fucking thing with the justifier, and it was great. I beat the game in like 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> this also taught me something, which I'm, I'm talking about. So, uh, a couple of things about the game videos really quick. And I understand I'm jumping ahead, but I just don't want to waste right. too much time talking about bookkeeping stuff. So, that's Snatcher. Play it. Love it. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about uh, with the videos is... Um, so, uh, it, it's nothing personal, but when I twitch stream that stuff i make a lot of sacrifices first of all i have to have a mic on there and i have to adjust literally in milliseconds for the delay and then i gotta try to balance the audio and anybody who's watched the crypt killer fortingard i know that's you will tell you that the audio is not balanced it is very counter to my usual audio quality um that's because I don't have the luxury of watching it. And guess what? Neither did anybody else. I streamed for three hours, maybe four hours on Friday night. I streamed Crypt Killer. And do you know how hard it is to stream a light gun game? <laughs> and uh, I streamed Mad Dog McCree while I suffered through all that. And then I streamed uh, Resident Evil uh, HD Remake. I, I completed the mansion. Uh, not the game, the mansion uh, for that stream. And what I learned was nobody watched, which is fine. I don't take offense to that. But it's Friday night's probably a bad time for people to want to watch anyway. I also know a lot of our listeners are European. That's a 11.30 at night on a, a Central or Eastern Standard Time on a Friday is a very different time period for Europe. Um, so I don't think it's worth it to stream it, I guess. I could stream it, but I don't think it's worth it to stream it. So I think I'm going to start capturing those the old-fashioned way, where the capturing is very portable. I'm not held back by a internet connection. The quality is astronomically better, um, like literally seven times better. And I can record um, the audio. Right now I'm leaning up against my mic like I do with for the podcast. I've got a headset mic that I can use when I'm doing uh, just uh, portable recordings. And it, it, it's, it clips onto me. It's like from a TV show. It clips onto your, to your belt or your, your waist. And, uh, and so I can carry it around with me and not have to worry about it. So I think that's the better way to do it. Plus, if I don't figure something out or I need to scrap the, uh, the video or I can't figure out how the fuck to play a game or something, uh, it, it's not happening live. So Retro Game Night will continue. I will continue to make tons of videos, but I don't think I'm going to do it live. I think I should save live events for exactly that, specific live events. Um, 
The other thing is I'm trying to figure out if I should... For a lot of the games that I've done quick looks on that I've gone on to finish, like Blue Stinger and Resident Evil, I've had people now go, well, are you going to play through the whole game? (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I should do that. I didn't think anyone would want to watch that, but as I go back and look, did you know that my Hobbit playthrough has like thousands and thousands of views? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. It blows my mind that people want to watch me play that. Nobody's played it. (laughs) Is that why? Is that the thing? Is that if I play the games, nobody's played? Because nobody cares about Michigan. No, that's, Michigan that's a has great playthrough. Yeah, I, I really like that playthrough, and and actually, some of the people who never watch my gameplay videos have watched that playthrough. So for what it's worth, it, it's it's kind of entertaining because it's both the game and my reaction to it, right? Because yeah. every time it jumps the shark, it does it worse. So, um, oh, and Ray just saying he grabbed the Resident Evil HD remaster on Steam. Yeah, actually, for those that are interested, if you're not going to do the disc version, I've recently gotten my hands on a uh early release uh demo for the ps4 i think it's just the demo that the press was distributing out and some capcom rep got nice enough to send it to me Uh, i played through the first like hour and there's there's very subtle but not noticeable differences between the quality of those so i think i'm just going to be good with my ps3 version but if you are not in that boat uh and you can play it on steam uh, if you go to Green Man Gaming right now and sign, you just have to sign up for an account, which is what you have to do to buy anything anyway. They have a VIP club for account holders. They're selling it for fifteen bucks right now. You That's get a soundtrack as well. What? Yeah, soundtrack. I think with it if you do that. Yes, yes. If you pre-order it, you get the soundtrack on Steam. So that's a worthwhile endeavor if you want to go the PC route. If not, I totally understand. You can pre-order both of them on Xbox One and PS4 right now. And I don't think you can preload them, though. But it's not going to be a large game. Um, it's it, it might be like 10 gigs, but it's not going to be a whole lot bigger. But, yeah, so I think I'm going to start capturing those. Now, the question for you, Jam, is do I post Resident Evil HD Remaster Part 2, where I go from the end of that video to pretty much uh, having two masks in the hole and, and, and getting to the snake area? Do I? I don't have that video anymore. It was lost to the annals oh. of history. It had a glitch. So, do I dare post part three without part two, or do I just call it a wash on that particular game? Uh, I don't know. Is that right? Know. right? There, there might be those people that will be like, "Well, where's part two? Yeah. Well, there's that. Now, part two is arguably the most boring part. It's the part where uh, you're yeah. just kind of figuring out the mansion, where all the keys are, and unlocking stuff. Yeah. I like my part three, which is actually on the Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash GH101. I haven't moved it to YouTube yet, but that one has me fighting whatever's in the bell tower of the crypt. It's got me fighting the snake. Um, I don't know if you recall this jam, but once you leave the mansion and get out into the back garden, because I go all the way until I get to the second part where the plant is, um, that back garden has a new scene, a new area, a new person. And- that's yeah, yeah. not in any yeah. other version. It deals with that. I've got that part. So that's a kind of more interesting gameplay part. But I don't know. I was kind of thinking about just leaving it up on Twitch for a couple of weeks if people are interested. Um, it, it just auto-deletes after like three weeks or something. So, But in the future, I will can complete my playthroughs. Uh, um, but this does beg the question, I didn't do that for Snatcher. So... <laughs> What should I do? Do I go back and record Snatcher? Maybe I will, now that I know there's emulation problems. That game's pretty short. I'm already on Act 2. so I've heard it's not too long, actually. I could probably restart that, and maybe I should. Maybe I should. So, I don't know. You guys in the chat, you'll be the strength. 
do I do I record Snatcher so that people who do not get a chance to play it can at least watch it? It's basically a movie anyway. Um, and since I've read all that shit, I won't read it <laughs> the second time. Fred is well versed in the world of Snatcher. Yes. Oh, I know me some Snatchers. Um, I'm going to make that joke so much on the gameplay video if I do it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. Well, that's that. And last but not least, we definitely got to talk about uh, a wonderful bit of new news from Mr. Tree's Lounge uh, yeah. and Easy Mode Unlocked, which is that... Finally. He is no longer working the night shift. He is no longer employed in a night shift. He has a really early shift now. He works at like four in the morning till like noon. <laughs> so he goes to bed really early. But that means that Easy Mode Unlocked has moved to Wednesday nights, not Tuesday nights. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure why they moved to Wednesday. They discussed that it had to do with his shift change. But I don't know why Tuesdays are out. <laughs> But the plus side is that does leave him open to come do our show. And he even joked about that. So I'm going to invite him for the yeah, Snatcher yeah, one, yeah. and maybe we'll have him back for more shows more often. So that is the good news. But if you watch Easy Mode, and if you are now a listener of – if you are a current listener of Easy Mode and want to come over and check us out, allgames.com, 7 p.m., every Tuesday night, <laughs> Eastern Standard Time, you need to come do that because now we can get the Easy Mode crowd because we are on uh, non-conflicting nights. So – Anyway, all right, on with the show, which nobody knows what the topic is, do they? <laughs> I, I did tell, I think I told, I told Andy, but I don't know if he told TC. Okay, yeah, it's, it's on, the, it's, it's basically history on the fives and tens. We've done this a couple years running, and I told Jam, once we do five of these in a row, we've kind of covered everything because it comes full circle. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so this week, uh, it's going to be 1950 to 2005, I think is how far I went. We're going to be talking about all the significant things in history up to and including the game releases. But I'm trying to stay away from the game releases because I want to be a little more yeah. in depth. But that's what this week's show is going to be about. We'll get to that topic in a second. Also, um, Jake uh, McClanahan, we've got a little bit of community stuff that's just been streaming in from non-traditional sources, which is fine by me. Um, Jake McClanahan, Neo Jake, who did our uh, theme song that you hear at the beginning, was talking to me. And he said, have you ever done a show about Mist?" And while we kind of talked about hypercard and stuff, we didn't, right? Because what are we going to do in a show about mist, right? Do you ever <laughs> notice we have topics that we just don't tackle because we're like, we're never going to fucking get two hours out of yeah, that, no, 90 yeah. minutes. And I think that's great. And, you know, Retronauts is doing this, and, you know, you steal from what you love, um, which Jam and I have kind of joked, they have had some similar content to us as of late. I'm just pleased <laughs> yeah. that we always do ours first. But uh, but that's fine because they're good people, and I don't think they're actively copying us in any way. And if they are, eh, <laughs> we're not generating any revenue. I'm almost flattered if they if they dare dare say are. But uh, I said, why don't we do some of like those bite size episodes? They're starting to do like seven to ten minute bite size episodes, and I was like, I could do fifteen minutes on Mist. I could riff Mist. Yeah. So I'm going to start doing those. Jam, you're encouraged to do the same. Um, oh yeah, before I start that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, and I've definitely seen your one you did, and um, we can just call them extra credits. I think that's a perfect. I, I did thing. another one, but I lost it. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Uh, 1950 to 2005. Sorry, Tiger Claw. So to explain it, yeah, and yes, there is some historical stuff for video games on 1950. So like 1950, 1955, 1960, 1965. But we, so we do it every five and ten years. Yeah. But we skip a year if nothing significant happened. Uh, that will happen between 1950 and 1975. So I'm sure you can imagine uh, for some of those years. 
Anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, well, Jam, once you get that to work properly, uh, you can send those our way and we'll get them live because we do have some bandwidth stuff for that. So I think I'm going to do Mist, but not first. I think, and I'm going to try to do like one a week, maybe, maybe one every other week. There's no commitments or requirements here. Um, But when you can do it on your own and it's only 15 minutes long, it can be a lot easier. Um, I want to do, I finally want to do the story of Tetris. So the next one I'm going to do is the story of Tetris and how Nintendo secured those rights. Especially since Ubisoft just pulled them from Nintendo. And then I will do Mist. So if you guys have an idea for something like that, let me know. Um, also, Regenerator says, random question. Seeing as the two newest MGS games are on Steam, do you suppose there's a chance older Metal Gear Solid games will show up on Steam at any point? That's an interesting concept. The HD collection, definitely. Yeah, I don't think 4 will. That, yeah, well, 4 might, and I'll tell you why, but real quick, the HD collection will be super easy because it came out on 360. Pretty much, if they ported it that far, getting it over to Steam is no problem. The reason is PS3 has its own architecture, which is what makes that difficult leap. We've also seen Konami move a lot of things to Steam lately. Castlevania Lord of Shadow 1 and 2, Mirror of Fate have all moved over. We've seen um, you know, lots of the Metal Gear stuff, Metal Gear Rising, all that stuff. So that's an entire possibility. Silent what you're, went there. Yeah. What? Silent Hill HD collection went there as well. Yeah, yeah, it did. So where you're going to see the problem, though, is Metal Gear Solid 1, which was ever only released on PlayStation 1. I don't think you're going to see that port. It can be done. We've seen Square do it already. I don't think Konami's going to do that. That's a lot of resources for something people probably aren't going to buy too much. Um, because it would literally be the PlayStation port. You know what I mean? Um, as far as Metal Gear Solid 4, that is a possibility, and I know size restrictions was the biggest setback of that not coming to the 360. Again, though, kind of like, you know, and this is why Jam said right off the bat, no, probably not. They are going to have to reverse engineer a game utilized for the PlayStation 3, and that is kind of difficult to migrate it over to x86 architecture or x64 architecture for steam and it would probably be x86 architecture believe it or not metal gear solid runs at a really low like 560p resolution that's upscaled to 720p so um did i say five i meant four uh so we'll see um metal gear solid would also need some edited content there is some spoken dialogue about the ps3 system yeah that's true they might just keep it in there though uh i know konami usually doesn't do that but they might um, and I guess under that same regard, maybe the GameCube version because it's got AMD architecture. Yeah. I think that was a power PC platform. Um, the GameCube one of the Twin Snakes might be able to make its way over, although I don't know if I'd want that version. But if you got to yeah. release something on Steam, it's better than nothing. Do I think they'll do it? Fuck no. I think you'll be <laughs> lucky enough to get the HD collection, although that would be their easiest and quickest port yeah. and the most probable. I think that'll come over. Yeah. Yeah, so... Oh yeah, Tetris, the Tetris, Tetris Grandmaster Run. Yeah, I saw that. That was fucking that was awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you've not seen what's going on, and Jam will probably talk about it a little bit, but the uh, the uh, uh, the Grandmaster Run on on, on Awesome Games Games Done Quick of Tetris was fantastic. Go look that up on their YouTube. It's 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 dazzling. So, 
But uh, anyway. <clears throat> Every Tetris player's shame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I couldn't even. My eyes were having trouble keeping yeah, up no, with that. Yeah. Jesus. I don't know how his brain does it. He gets in the zone, man. And he but, was talking uh, at the same time. I know. He's like I can't. He's just like <laughs> I can barely play like point and click adventures and talk. Jesus. But uh, anyway, he's all just right. Like, well, this is what you do on this game. You just <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it, it's it, it's literally ingrained in his like in his in his chemistry. But uh, anyway, all right, sir. How about some news topics since I've been rambling yeah. for so long? Oh, that's all right. So um, yeah, on that note, like Fred was mentioning, um, so um, also I, I'm gonna get this right someday. Um, awesome games done quick. I keep calling it AGDQ, and usually get the letters mixed out around the way. They finished last week. Well, they finished on Sunday, and they managed to raise 1.5 million dollars, which is huge, really, for, yes, for a game. It, it blows space. away their last year, which yeah. was high too. I think it was like 700. I they got a million. No, last they, year. they broke a million. That's right. Yeah. I think the first yeah. year was 700. But anyway. yeah, a lot of it's post kind of after the streak because they did because obviously they did the humble bundle stuff so yes. a lot of it's kind of like comes a bit later um but that's kind of their i think 1.5 is like their predicted but it's believed there's gonna be a bit more as well so they'll probably announce it in the near future but i thought i'd briefly sort of just mention like like you mentioned the that amazing tetris run but they've put all their stuff up on youtube if you want to check out all they put all the runs up there now i think while well, they're in the process of doing it but some of the other highlights for me personally uh, which I actually watched was there was a Ninja Gaiden trilogy relay race, which is um, a couple of guys played through all three Ninja Gaiden NES games back to back to back. I can't even complete that first game, let alone sort of. Go oh, I've be- I, I can't beat Ninja Gaiden one. I've beaten two, and I yeah. gave up on three, but I could, I could play it. I've got it on the Wii U of all things. It came bundled with my Wii U. Mm. <laughs> And these guys just plow through it in like, was it half an hour they took? <laughs> oh my god, I could not believe. <laughs> now, I didn't get a chance to watch that, but I heard the times and it blew my mind. They were do right they break it? Uh, well, the break records. Uh, no, do they have... break the game? Do they use... Yeah, like, yeah, exploits? totally. Absolutely. Okay. Glitches and everything. That's what most of these runs are, like glitches. Right, and actually I think those are more interesting. I, I'm oh, sure yeah. there are people who disagree with me on that, but I'm sure... Uh, but I feel that they're more interesting. I think I think they are a lot more interesting as well. I mean, I think they have they have, they've got all their various categories of like different types, like glitchless glitch. But I think most of the runs in the event were all like in glitch included. Um, other other stuff, other highlights. There was a really one of the ones I was quite interested in was BattleBlock Theater had a run where they had the de- developers actually um, over Skype talking over it, and the the voiceover guy who does the announcer in it, Stamper, his famous YouTube mm-hmm. um, personality, and that was quite entertaining because the game developers during the show were just like huh I didn't know you could do that in the game or just kind of like yeah, a lot of it was just yeah. you break their game yeah yeah it, it's just an interesting sort of concept of like getting the people that made this game to sort of look at sort of how, how gamers are kind of like you know um, well going for it really fast because they obviously they said during the um, event that the game was designed to be hard as well and that, and that these guys just run through it like and it's battle block theater is hard it is yeah it is it's a fucking hard game so don't watch that and suddenly go oh yeah i could do this oh yeah oh yeah yeah, go try yeah yeah i mean it's not impossible or anything but it's hard (laughs) and then surprisingly there was a game i didn't even know existed um and battletoads on the arcade and it's violent with decapitations (laughs) if this shit's on name and i'm sure it is i have to to get it right yeah that's something i might stream it won't be quick but apparently it's balls hard it's really oh is it 
Yeah. Oh, well, see, that's that's not uh, – here's the only thing that matters. If I can throw in a quarter and continue right where I left off, that's fine. But if it's like Haunted Castle, the Castlevania game, where you have to start at the beginning of the level every time you die, so it's kind of like a cartridge game put into an arcade, then I'm going to have some problems. Do you, did you <laughs> notice when you watched it, like, when he continues, oh. does he continue immediately, kind of like Ninja Turtle style? Unfortunately, the guy who played this, um, he never put died. it on the highest difficulty. Yeah, that's right. He never died. <laughs> so he put it on the highest okay. difficulty setting and never died. Once. All right. Well, I'll see if I can do it. Uh, I'll look into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. But yeah, but it's a great show. But uh, go go check out the videos and um, yeah, obviously uh, I think their next one is in the summer when they do summer games. Not quick. Well, and hold on. Two things I want to say. So he also played the Capcom AVP games. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which are great on arcade, and if you want to get a taste of them, a lot of people don't know this, and it's not too expensive. There's a SNES port of AVP. Oh, yeah, that was in there. I yeah, that. yeah, and it's not bad. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, also, and I don't know if it's an exact arcade port, but it's a version of it. Yeah. Um, also, you said Oot blindfolded. So if you need any more proof that the reason <laughs> everyone loves Ocarina of Time so much is because secretly it is the easiest Zelda game. <laughs> Look no further. It's the only reason everyone loves it as much as they do. And again, I'm not talking it down. It's a great game. I've played through it. And the Water Temple is not as bad as people would have you believe. Um, but uh, but the, I <laughs> I seriously think that because it's it's completely beatable, whether you played it back then, whether you play it now and whatnot, it is probably the easiest Zelda game. Uh, hmm. So, but uh, I'll find out about Majora's when it comes out this uh this year yeah oh yeah that's probably quite seen as well have you played that before i haven't i've never played with george me neither you know i know it's probably pretty cheesy but we should probably for that release once they finally announce that they haven't announced a release date that should be our game club yeah because i want to play through majora's mask and uh everyone always wants us to do a zelda game club and i i think you and i are going to agree that out of the uh the ones out there majora's mask is probably the safest one (laughs) for us to do I was going to get it on the 3DS anyway, pretty much. Yeah, there you go. And that's what I'm going to play it on. So um, I have it on uh, the N64, but I think it's just for pastiche. I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to play that version. Uh, but uh, anyway. Cool. So um, there was two stories. There's really not much because it's January. Nothing happens in gaming news. Even retro gaming news, nothing happens. But So uh, the other two stories is Indiana Jones and the Fountain of Youth is getting a home report uh, for PC, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is kind of interesting because it's got the same graphical style as the other point-and-click adventure from LucasArts, which is uh, The Face of Atlantis. And it, there's a demo available right now um, It online. looks good. It does I've, look uh, good, yeah. I've looked at it. It, it. it is the fate of Atlantis. Like, I think they borrowed assets. But this is one of the sort of the more believable ports I can see, you know, getting quite a lot of love from, and possibly, you know, it, it, I wouldn't, not going to say for definite, but maybe the developers would support this sort of thing. Um, considering it is a bit more kind of uncommon whereas the next story which is mario 64 <laughs> hd i've heard this story before yeah which is basically resident evil 2 hd all over again where it's a great idea um and, and it's it's good i understand that people really really love mario 64 but i don't see kind of what what people are expecting when you make something like this because nintendo's gonna straight away come down on you <laughs> well the other thing that people probably don't know and i was gonna premiere it on a retro game night and i still will uh, yeah. But I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag now. It's already been done. Uh, Project 1964, which is an emulator for the N64, now supports a add-on right. pack 
that allows you to import high-res textures, and the community huh. has been making high-res textures. And I've recently played it. It's 800 by 600, which is kind of 600p. It's the earliest version. It's SVGA. It's the earliest virgin, version of, like, HD. Um, but the textures are huge. Mario 64 goes from being, like, a 12 megabit um, ROM to the texture pack itself is, like, 60 megs. It's huge. And you need a strong PC to run it. Like, my 3.0 gigahertz dual core with 4 gigs of RAM was chugging with it, so I threw it up on the old gaming PC, and that handled it no problem. Um, but they've done this for a lot of games, and Mario 64 is definitely one of the first. And so I'm going to do a game capture of that. So we'll, we'll get, I'll get a chance to show that to you guys, uh, at some point. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I question why they're even bothering to do this. Um, it's interesting, but you're right. Nintendo's going to pull it. Even if it's free, Nintendo's going to pull it. Uh, the only way these other places, I think, are getting away with it is because you bring your own ROM to the table on the high-res texture packs. So since the ROMs and the texture packs are completely separated to one another and the emulators even on the third site and the plug-in is on a fourth site, it's so scattered there's no one to go after. So, anyway... But that's all in you. Yeah, that C and D is is, is coming. Even if they give it away for free, that C and D is coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cease and desist. Reggie right. is gonna come and knock on your door and kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll send his interns to do it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'll 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 be like the intern will like flip up a, a cell phone and Reggie will be like, put him on. <laughs> and they hand the phone over to him. Uh, but uh, oh, and just to point it out, uh, Jedi Slurpee in the chat said uh, another one of his favorite Capcom brawlers was uh, um, the Punisher on, in the arcades. And I said, yeah, there's actually a Genesis port of that. That yeah. I do know because that I, I used to have until I discovered Mame. Uh, the problem with the Genesis port is really nothing. It's actually a very faithful port, but it's it's one of the age old things where when they converted it, you get very few credits, and I wasn't able to beat the game. Whereas I like to play those games straight through, even though people say that makes them too cheap and easy. I don't care. I want to see the end of the game when it's an arcade game. So, um, so I did opt for it. But uh, if you're good at it or you want to put in the time to it, it does let you up the credits and stuff. It's beatable. But uh, anyway. Um, and Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, everyone's talking about. To my knowledge, that does not have a port. The Cadillacs and Dinosaurs on the Sega CD, Mega CD, is not the Capcom Brawler. It is a uh, Time Gal, Road Avenger, you know, Dragon's Lair uh, interactive cartoon, which is very amusing. But uh, I need to get back to the Sega CD collections, Jam, because I have all yeah, those. Absolutely. I have Road Avenger, I have Time Gal, <laughs> I have Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. In fact, how did I not play Cadillacs and Dinosaurs? Because I've already got, I was doing them A to Z, and I've already gotten to Dracula. I need to go back and find Cadillacs yeah. and Dinosaurs. Huh. Dracula is boring. What? <laughs> Dracula game is boring. Which game? Dr- Dracula. Oh, Dracula? <laughs> it's one of the point-click ones you were playing. But <laughs> yeah, the Dracula Unleashed? Yeah, you didn't yeah. like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to just play the really bad ones. I need to stop just playing everything in the collection. I just need to go. Oh, no, you got to play everything. Oh, I need to play everything, like, regardless? Yeah. Yeah. I think my Cadillacs and Dinosaurs might be separated off to the side with all the other point-and-click ones. Um, So maybe if I'm feeling really ridiculous, I'll try Braindead 13 on the 3DO again. (sighs) It's like the one 3DO game you can find for, like, $2. Nobody wants it. But uh, anyway, so lots more videos coming. 
But uh, all right. Well, without further ado, why don't we jump into history on the fives and tens? Yes. <clears throat> I guess we'll kind of go back and forth, but uh, I'll start off with 1950, because I found this. (laughs) (laughs) I was quite forgot about this far. (laughs) I know, like, I could not believe I got to find this this far. And just so people know, uh, my sources are rarely Wikipedia, but sometimes you can find leads through Wikipedia. Um, I will be utilizing Wikipedia, though, for the releases because, as I said, it's not... uh, We will be referencing Wikipedia for the games that came out that that year um, because we're going to kind of fire through them with a list, maybe give a sideways comment or something, but we're not delving too much into the games as much as, like, the industry. But it might surround a game or something, as you'll see. So in 1950, Claude Shannon publishes his paper, Programming a Computer for Playing Chess. Yes, that's what it was called, Programming a Computer for Playing Chess, in Philosophical Magazine. (laughs) I love how, like, out of reach this was at that time, right? This tells you how amazing and far games have come in such a short period of time versus, like, other media, like, uh, movies. Um, But uh, anyway, the challenge of a proper chess-playing computer would continue for decades after. In fact, I'm not convinced that they've they've nailed it yet. But as my latest uh, play of Star Wars chess on Christmas to prove (laughs) to my brother-in-law something like that exists can contest, they definitely hadn't figured it out by 93. (laughs) (laughs) So was that 43 43 years later? Yes. (laughs) And have you ever played Star Wars chess, Jim? I don't even know that existed. <laughs> it's it's a very fascinating game because it's chess with Star Wars characters. Yeah. But it has like 30 second loads between every move. So <laughs> if you thought Chess Master was bad, wait till you play this. <laughs> it's Again, it's good at what it is. It just really needed better load times. So. I have Chess Master on a Game Gear. I've never played it. <laughs> oh, okay. Just on the box. <laughs> that, that old dude that's smiling yeah, at you yeah, through absolutely. the night? No, yeah, that guy's a fuck. <laughs> He's, oh, the Chess Master. I hate him so much. Anyway, why don't you continue on? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say about Chess Masters. Every time I think about that, I just think about that scene from The Thing, the film, the John Carpenter's one. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where he's playing Chess Master in that film. That's <laughs> true. I never even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. That's the classic <laughs> one, man. That's yeah. like your, your ZX Spectrum version well, it's like a dedicated computer that's just for chess master <laughs> that's a good point yeah it was it was a it was a single unit hmm. but yeah so when you when you're stuck in the arctic that's so we can play <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah as you say anyway moving on to so we, yeah we're dropping ahead 15 years now to 1965 in january 13th john the is it kevin kevin john kevin uh, sorry, I gotta look at. It. Sorry, I don't know. No problem. No problem. I'll, I'll uh, yeah, John Kemeny. Sorry, yeah. Um, head of Dartmouth's maths department introduces a baseball simulator program in BASIC, the language he invented alongside Thomas Kurtz. So yeah, this is a big deal. Um, space. Well, I didn't even know they programmed any any baseball game in BASIC. So <laughs> this this generally surprised me to hear this fact. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I know. Uh, well, I was just fascinated that he invented BASIC. Um, hmm. I'm kind of cheating. Because, right. like, he invented BASIC in 64, so I probably talked about it last episode. Or probably not. That's the part uh, that you bump into is when you're researching these, you miss some of that stuff because I wasn't looking up BASIC. It's necessary to mention, though. Otherwise, we'll be just like, well, what's BASIC? People are going to ask probably. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, but, 
Oh, and Jedi Slurpee, there is the two and four player versions depending on which one you want. But if you don't have four controllers set up for the main thing, you may want to grab the two player version. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was just chat about stuff. We're talking about a great game called Crime Fighter. Uh, it's Crime Fighters, sorry. Uh, grab it on MAME. It's got uh, some of the horror movie characters in it uh, as bosses and stuff. And it's a precursor to uh, Vendetta or Die Hard Arcade. So, But uh, uh, anyway, um, I still need to play Die Hard Arcade on the PS2. Mm-hmm. I haven't booted that up yet. Anyway. Japanese <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in fact, uh, I'll just dedicate right now. I'm going to do that. I'm going to play Duke Nukem on the PS3 for a little bit for this week's thing. Look at the... Uh, the Megaton Edition, and I'll I will, that, yeah. and I'm going to play through that uh, that remake of uh, Duke Nukem Forever that was ported into Duke Nukem 3D on PCs. Oh, yeah, yeah, that plays the demo. So I'll, I'll play those for Retro Game Night coming up. I'll commit to those already. Um, anyway, uh, do 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 Okay, so 1970. Basic is used to program a slew of games at Dartmouth, including Tic-Tac-Toe, War, Bridge, Blackjack, and basically every other casino game you can imagine. So Dartmouth <laughs> was kind of the world from whence Basic came, but we do know that once that goes mainstream into computers of the 80s, Basic is a pretty big deal. Some of your favorite video games are programmed in Basic if you played them on microcomputers. So... Mr. Jam, why don't you take the first one in 75? So, nine, moving on five, five years later. We've, got, we've come a long way since 1950 now. So, 25 years later, um, William Crofer uh, creates the first interactive fiction or text adventure game, Advent. Best known as Adventure or Colossal Cave on the PDP-10. Is that how you say it? Yeah, probably? that's the PDP-10. <laughs> yep. Yeah, excellent. It was created by a father wanting to connect with his kids after a divorce and borrows heavily from the Tolkien's worlds, which a lot of game, all, all of these early kind of games did, especially yeah. D&D games. Um, it was titled Advent originally because the original OS uh, only supported six character names. Yeah, so he got, he, you can tell he went to go put in Adventure yeah. and he's like, shit. <laughs> yeah, he probably put, so he probably started with Drag... Uh, yeah, off. right. Yeah. <laughs> so now have you, this is kind of like, this predates Zork, basically. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, d- the PDP 10 we've talked about on previous episodes. I can't remember. I think you were on for that one, but, uh, the PDP 10 was used. Um, I think we talked about it last year. In fact, when we were talking about like earliest versions of like multiplayer and stuff, but it had a yellow and black screen that kind of was like, you know, how Apple two E's were like green and black. This yeah. was yellow and black. Um, but it was kind of like an Apple style computer before those had come out yet. It was only in, you know, college towns and stuff. It was in research departments and whatnot. And interesting enough, the, you know, going back to last week's show, the first Dungeons and Dragons game was programmed for the PDP. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also, yeah, I'm getting a lot of shit from stuff. Yeah, Vendetta <laughs> is the pre. Uh, sorry, Crime Fighters. I don't think I talked about this, but it is the Crime Fighters is the precursor to Vendetta. But I was mistaking Vendetta for Die Hard Arcade, and I don't know why I was. It's called something else though in Japan. But I'm not going to do that research right now because I'm busy talking about this shit. Um, come for the chat. Uh, I'm going to ignore, <laughs> not ignore the chat, but I'm going to stop going on tangents because the chat. Uh, Next up, in February 1975, the game Shark Jaws by Horror Games, which was actually a subsidiary of Atari formed by Nolan Bushnell, and it was the only game they released. 
Uh, releases to arcades. It features a swimmer grabbing fish in the water while a great white shark swims around and attempts to eat you. It was shown off in the movie Jaws. Do you recall this jam where the kids play in the, the shark Jaws game? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, just totally yeah that's that game. That's that game? That's yeah, that's that game, yes. Um, and it was unofficially tied to that movie, but yeah. Universal did not permit a license for Bushnell. So Bushnell, as a result, released the game via horror games, uh, which many say was to not involve Atari in the lawsuit if anyone were to sue. Uh, although, despite that, there's a massive Atari logo clearly <laughs> on every cabinet. And the title card had, like, the title card that's in the bezel up above the machine had shark really small and jaws really large. So, <laughs> from a distance, you were like, that's Jaws, brilliant. the arcade game. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, it, of course, tied into the 1975 film. Apparently, it was very successful, selling more than 2,000 units. Really? Wow. Yeah. I've never seen this game in existence. Uh, I'm sure if I went to California Extreme, I could. But otherwise, I'd say it's one of the rarer ones. So, anyway. Yeah. I didn't think that that was actually an arcade game. I thought it was just made for the film. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, it's, it's legit. <laughs> so, in the fall, or sort of autumn, if you live in this country, <laughs> in the UK. Um, and it's uh, funny, no, my daughter's named Autumn. You'd think I'd know better. <laughs> Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, the Box discontinues the Odyssey and uh, releases the 100 and 200 models, uh, both which were single chip designs and give them a more all-in-one game system. Uh, 200 sports two and four player games for the first time. That's interesting. Yeah, they're literally like, you know, those things they sell nowadays that you probably ignore at uh, like Walmart and stuff that are like the joystick with like 10 games on it. Mm-hmm. It was just like those. Yeah, yeah, so it's quick. Um, but in this one, they only had two. I think it was just like basketball and hockey, which were both Pong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair. Um, but yeah, yeah, so. But uh, yeah, yeah, I did not know they discontinued the Odyssey and released these between the Odyssey yeah. and the Odyssey 2, um, which I still have a hard time getting into the Odyssey. <laughs> but uh, hey, it's a thing. <laughs> It definitely gave way to what I do love. So, anyway. Uh, on September 22nd, 1975, Enix is founded by Yasuhiro Fukushima, an architect who became an entrepreneur. Originally named Idansha Bonshu Service Center, the company was uh, uh, was pub- uh, published tabloids as a method to distribute real, ta- real estate advertising. Which is awesome. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of magazines were created uh, over our history just to sell the advertising. But uh, any, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there you go. Uh, later on, but I'm just going to tie it here. In 1982, uh, the name was changed to Enix as a hybrid for uh, ENIAC, the first digital computer, and of course the mythical Bird Phoenix. Uh, so there you go. That's where you get Enix from. It's ENIAC plus Phoenix. Enix. Uh, additionally, the company changed focus to anime, manga, and video games. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. So, yeah, there you go. There's the founding of Enix. Started off as a uh, tabloid manufacturer. <laughs> well, better than Nintendo. <laughs> right? <laughs> Love yeah. hotels? Yeah, I get yeah. that. <laughs> and so, finishing off this year, um, with December, Atari and Telegames, um, part of Sears, uh, releases Pong in Sears retailers. Yeah, Jim, I don't know if... Yeah, I know, right? There's there's Pong. That's the official Pong. The Pong. It's a real uh, Pong. But since it's it fine. used over-the-shelf parts, it could be replicated for, you know, no problems. 
they could sell it too. Uh, they just couldn't call it Pong. Um, they could call it like tabletop <laughs> and various other things, but table tennis. Yeah, right. Uh, now, uh, do you have Sears out there? Is Sears pretty ingrained in in y'all's nope. history over there in Europe? <laughs> No, not well. Least, uh, not in England, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. no I didn't think so. Sears. I think it's pretty American. Um, yeah. But Sears was kind of like headstrong into video games. I'd say uh, Atari wouldn't have the influence it did if it wasn't for Sears Roebuck um, getting involved in telegames. Was uh, basically Sears's line to release Atari products exclusively in their stores. So there you go. All right, let's move on to 1980, which still probably predates most people listening to and on this show. Um, right decade where we were born. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. See. Uh, Mattel releases the Intellivision home console in North America. The date of 1979 was for test markets for anyone trying to call me out on my fucking research. Uh, releasing for 299.99. And featuring swappable game cartridges, it was the first true competitor to the Atari VCS slash 2600. Advertising featured George Plimpton frequently uh, showing side-by-side comparisons with the Atari. Have you seen some of these ads? I think I have, actually. Yeah, go to YouTube, guys. <laughs> yeah. And look up the George Plimpton. Oh, yeah. No, I uh, <laughs> in television commercials. They're fucking great. They're not, like, hilarious, hilarious, but it was great to see... Not only like heavily late seventies influenced advertising, but as they as they truly take on because the, the Intellivision did look better than the VCS, especially in the beginning. Um, what they don't show you is that the games were no fun to play. <laughs> there are some <laughs> hardcore Intellivision fans that are going to hate me saying Not that, a, but yeah, yeah. I would put the Atari VCS library up against the Intellivision any day of the week. And if you weren't around for either of those to ever play them when you were a kid, you're not going to understand what's likable about any of those consoles, in my opinion. I really think the, these consoles are very hard to go back to. I think NES is probably the oldest you can go back to if you were born, like, after 1990, um, in my opinion. But please, write in. Tell me what you think. Next up, sir. I think all the Atari 2600 fans are going to come in droves now. I know, but like, as somebody who has an Atari 2600, or well, the flashback with a lot of the really good games, it's mostly Activision games. Mm -hmm. Even Pitfall, man, is a little rough to go back to for a long period of time. (laughs) And River Raid 1 and 2 are great, and River Raid 2 never released until this thing, but... Um, you know, still, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know what I need to do? I need to literally do a video where I go through all 40 games on my flash, all yeah. the 40 or 60 games on my flashback. But anyway, why don't you continue with a very you appropriate? Yeah, I was gonna say, oh, this point quite, this here. Is yeah, brilliant. this is working out, right? <laughs> so, so, um, in 1980, Sinclair releases the ZX80 home computer. This is not the Spectrum. This is the, um, the kind of like first computer which looked really boring if you have to see the pictures of this it was um, for taxes refer- <laughs> it was for taxes yeah yeah absolutely um the best reference for people who don't know much about this console is if you did get life of pixel which is advertised quite, which was um featured quite heavy on gaming history 101 um there is some levels on that game with the zx80 it's all mm-hmm. like black and white and digital and horrible. Yes, <laughs> so. yes, but it's funny to watch uh, oh, to yeah, play yeah. it that way. But yeah, yeah, I love how they play that. So um, on the same year, though, Acorn releases the Atom. This was a big deal because this is with the predecessor to the far superior system that came out a year later, which was the BBC Micro. Um, 
But yeah, it's the first uh, computer sports games in the UK, and this 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 paved the way, Fred, for like loads of people, like big people in the industry, made their starting game development with this sort of computer. Yes, and I actually want to point this out because I had to go, I had to double take a double take. Mm-hmm. For those, do not mistake the Acorn Atom for the Coleco Atom, which was oh, also yes. a computer, but it was an add-on to the Coleco. Acorn's Atom released only in the UK. But yes, this is where the building blocks of Dizzy came from. <laughs> yeah, for, as well Something as no American will ever understand. <laughs> well, the most recent um, people, one pe- thing people know, um, Elite Dangerous was released recently. Mm-hmm. That um, was first programmed on, it wasn't on the Asmodee, it was on the BBC Micro, but this is what was like the foundation. These are the building blocks, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, next up, this is something definitely up my uh, alley. Up. Although, actually, you'll understand this one as well. Probably more so, Jam. Data East releases the Deco system, D-E-C-O, uh, which I we've talked about on a previous show. I just can't remember which one. Oh, actually, I think we talked about it on the Data East episode, which it still has one of the worst names. Like, it was cute when we said it in the episode, but I still hate that I changed it to Data Easy. People don't understand what that meant uh, until they hear the episode. But anyway, the Deco system came out, which was an arcade game that used cassettes to run. Now, Jam, what do you know about cassette games? What's the problem with cassette games? <laughs> well, you have to. Well, when they run out, you have to take years to. Well, and they take six <laughs> years to load. And, that's it. Um, and what it would do is every time you get a game over in an arcade game, it would reload the game. So you definitely couldn't play two people back-to-back a la Pac-Man style. And uh, guess how often those tapes broke? All the fucking time. time. Yeah. Yeah. Although this was the first hot-swappable arcade platform, uh, which became real mainstream with the JAMA board. Anyone who's a big arcade enthusiast knows about JAMA. So, but, yes, so that's where the deco comes in. So, Mr. Jam. It's a big year, this one. Uh, yeah. So into May the 22nd, uh, Namco released... This is a big deal. They yes. released Pac-Man in the US, and it is a massive success, of course, with over 400,000 arcade cabinets sold and over 7 million on the VCS. Not to mention other console re-releases. There's tons of re-releases of Pac-Man. Yeah, yeah. 1980 was when you got the arcade, but 400,000 arcade cabinets yeah, in America. That blows my mind. It, Pac-Man fever indeed, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how did the song come out? <laughs> what? Uh, the when song came song... out in uh, same year, I think. Oh, did it? Yeah. Uh, I got to check that. But uh, was Pac-Man pretty influential over there in Europe? I, I can't remember. Yeah, well, it was definitely a big deal over here. We had Pac-Man and everything. Um, yeah, no, Pac-Man was Pac-Man huge, fever so. was 82, my bad. But uh, anyway. Okay, no, it doesn't matter, but... Yeah, no, Pac-Man was. Big. I don't think I don't think it, Pac-Man arcades were released in this country uh, in, in um, nineteen eighty. Though I think they might have come a year later. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but uh, but uh, I, you know, and again, and of course, Puck-Man, which is what he was known <laughs> yeah, as in uh, in Japan, uh, was very popular as well. Uh, not quite as much as Space Invaders, but while Space Invaders was popular here, it didn't hold a candle to how ridiculous Pac-Man was and Namco was set for a yeah. long time with Pac-Man. Still is. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of kind of they always go back and bleed that old horse when they need to, don't they? <laughs> they re-released the Pac-Man Championship Super Ultra Fighting <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> what, what was that? Pac-Man DX King Edition or so I don't know, anyway. Yeah. Uh but uh 
But yes, so Pac-Man, big deal. Uh, again, this one's all related around like the U.S. stuff uh, for 1980. It's significant in 1980 for that reason. Also, apparently the port is terrible on the VCS, but as Derek came on and said, you know, people really liked it back when it came out, and it did move 7 million Atari VCS copies, so <laughs> quite a performer on the, uh, on the 2600. A uh, slew of arcade blockbusters released. The following yeah. coin-ops were released this year. Missile Command, Tempest, hey. Berserk, Battlezone, Rally-X, Warlords, Centipede, and Nintendo's arcade flop, Radar Scope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most people haven't played that. You know why? They were pretty much all converted to Donkey Kong. But, Jam, uh, <laughs> do you have any fond memories of any of these games? I do. Yeah, actually, I do, actually. Uh, Missile Command um, and Centipede, probably specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did play Battlezone, actually. You liked, your, you liked your rollerball games? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just rolled them balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful, though, because, you know, it, those ones were, on those early ones, they didn't really have, like, good guards on the side, so your hand would always get pinched if you rolled it too yeah. hard. Um, <laughs> so you got to be careful, especially with Missile Command when you had to zap over to that part, but... Um, for me, the most significant was Tempest. I was terrible at Tempest, but it was color vector graphics, and um, it, it's just gorgeous. It looks great, but I've never been good nor particularly liked Tempest. Um, but fuck it. I have Tempest 2000 as well, and you know I pretend to like it. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so pretty significant year for arcades. They're definitely the dominating platform, I would say. Well, I don't know. Then you look at the vcs it's an interesting time for games mm-hmm. including what else released this year jam well zork released by infocom this year one yeah. of the most notable and popular text adventures ever released in case you hadn't heard of it already <laughs> if yeah. you if you haven't fear the gru and that's all i will tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, I think it's on Yoji, isn't it? The Zork remark, some sort of remark. Uh, yes, there it it has both in it. Yeah, uh, it's actually the Zork collection. You get Zork one, two, and three for like six bucks, and uh, it has the newer version, which has like graphics in it and stuff. It it actually is very similar to Snatcher in that regard. Um, but of course, you can also play old old balls Zork on it. It has that version. Um, there is also a cheat code in Black Ops. Did you know this? No. <laughs> okay. So have you ever played Black Ops? Yeah. Okay. On the main menu of Black Ops, you know, it's kind of you standing, sitting in the chair, like from the campaign, standing yeah, at the screen. Right. If you ta- if you press L2, R2, or left and right trigger back and forth rapidly, your guy will all of a sudden get up and you can walk around the room. And there's a couple of achievements associated with finding stuff there. And on the computer... <laughs> You can type in like runzork.exe or something. There is oh, like a command, brilliant. and it runs the whole game of Zork. Huh. That's, yeah, that's really good. You've got to play it through like a clunky interface of like you know you have to cursor over to the keys and tap them. But if you've ever wanted to play Zork and you have Black Ops, you have it. <laughs> You're disposal already. Now. I know, right? <laughs> now everyone's gonna go check that out. It was cool when it when it came out. I remember talking about it on podcasts and stuff. But everyone thought it was cool, and no one actually played it. I think this audience has the highest probability of actually trying it out. So, um, And, yeah, if you want to play those classic games and, and get well acquainted with, uh, with, with, with an interesting genre, um, Zork is definitely available on good old games for cheap. Um, also, here's a little game that recently became pretty popular. Mm-hmm. It was written 
by Michael Toy, Glenn Witchman, and Ken Arnold. It's a little game called Rouge. No, I'm sorry. Rogue. <laughs> Rogue. Which is this little game where you would have a randomly generated dungeon that had a couple of goals to reach. And you would go down into that dungeon and you would try to live. If you died, you lost everything and had to start the whole thing over. And it was a multi-level dungeon. Rogue has obviously given way to the very popularized roguelike genre. I think roguelike is overused. I think the heart of rogue is actually better utilized in games like Sheer and the Wanderer on the SNES. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have to play. That was only in Japan, but it does have a fan translation, guys. Go check it out. Um, Mystery Dungeon, which was also on the SNES. Um, and, uh, and then they had later ports on the Wii for some weird reason. There was Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon and Sheer and the Wanderer 3, but we know it is only Sheer and the Wanderer 1 in our country, um, that are also on the Wii. So if you got a Wii U or a Wii and you want a cheap, easy way to play it, I mean, Sheer and the Wanderer is cheap, um, but it's a good game. So if you want to play a true roguelike, uh, while I appreciate Spelunky and everything, it's, it's, it is a roguelike in a genre trope only, in my opinion. Um, that's not to discredit the game, but I don't think it's a true roguelike. And Rogue Legacy is up for debate. You could convince me one way or the other. So, Anyway, and there's a little yeah. one at the end here. There's <laughs> a little one, yeah. So Gunpei Yokoi and Nintendo reveal and release its first portable Game & Watch device. Yes. A little portable that went a long way. Yes. Now, these are the earlier ones, like yeah. Mario Cement Factory, that don't actually have the fold. Um, they'll later fold like the DS. But, yeah. Uh, those. Have you seen those early Game & Watches? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're they, some can be found over here sometimes. Cool. Yeah, they're super cool. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Business Travelers. I don't know if they released in America. Or, sorry, in the UK. But uh, clearly Business Travelers could have brought them over very yeah, easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, I've always wanted one, and I don't really want one to play. The Game & Watch collections are easily purchased on the 3DS. Mm -hmm. But um, but I've always wanted one to just, like, kind of have on the shelf. Yeah, yeah even absolutely. Even, like, broken versions of, you know, those early ones are really expensive. I mean, for what they are. I could probably buy a Lynx for the same price. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that. Sure. No, I don't. But uh, I could. I could. <laughs> um. But obviously, and, those uh, I know I know these are the, the flat design ones, but the, the later flip ones very much look very similar to the DSs. You know? Yes, yes. In so, fact, they flat out stole that design. Um, <laughs> pretty, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I want to say something about Gunpei Yokoi, but he'll come up a couple more times on this list. Yeah. Um, and it, it's almost a slap in the face that the house of Yamauchi uh, actually had the balls to take that design after what they did. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so let's go to 1985. This first one's really important, but I think it's better that you do the the next one anyway. But uh, the Commodore release, or sorry, Commodore releases the Amiga A1000, which is one of the most powerful computers of the 80s. I can't remember if it's 16-bit. Is it a 16-bit PC? I believe so, yeah. I think well, it I is. Crazy expensive. Well, 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 it's crazy expensive. Yeah, in 85 it was. <laughs> yeah. And it got a lot of iterations that actually made it a much stronger... Like, didn't it start off with 64 KB of RAM, but it eventually got to, like, 2 megabytes? Mm. Or megabits or whatever? MB? Either way, uh, the Amiga... I know less about this than before, but uh, oldschoolgameblog.com uh, 
he is kind of a person I follow on WordPress, and he has he to this day uses his Amiga as his gaming platform, and he even runs like a Windows ninety five style OS. Oh, really? on it. Yeah, wow. it's amazing cool. what he does. So go check out his blog if you want to. But it still fascinates me to watch these Amiga ports. These Amiga ports are good. And to this day, whenever I do console comparisons, of course, people justifiably go, why don't you show off the Amiga port? And I say, two reasons, mate. One, it's going to be emulated. And the second one is because, let's face it, it's always going to look better than the consoles. <laughs> you know, it's like fight, it's like a PC fighting a PS3. It's not fair. <laughs> the PS3 is standardized. But anyway. So yeah, yeah so like, there's the Amiga. Like Kestrel's putting in the specs into the chat. So oh, well, here we 68, go. 68,000 processor, 256 kilobytes. There we go. For this, yeah. Oh, it's 68,000. Oh, cool. Yeah. I wonder Upgradable. if there was an Amiga port of the fantastic Sanyo 68,000 uh, Castlevania game. Uh, if you guys <laughs> want to play that one, it's Castlevania. It's a it's a PS1 classic uh, on PSN. Castlevania, what is it, Chronicles, I think it is. Um, that's got the 68,000 port on it. I highly recommend everyone check it out. That is the 68,000 port. But uh, anyway, very cool. The other thing as well, I, I actually added this one in here, but I'll do it. I'll take this and one. And Rage, we'll get um, to that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Amstrad CPC 664 was released in the UK this year as well, which is basically like the, the Model 2 Amstrad computer, um, the second model from the first one they brought out. Uh, it's not really much to say about this, but I thought it was well, just what's interesting. What's the main difference? Does it just play things better? Like, I always didn't understand the iterative nature of some of these microcomputers. The um the the keyboard of the well the, the general design of the the set this model was different from the previous ones. Okay. Um, it was given like a I don't know so they kind of like tried to streamline. It. They still have the stupid tape deck in it, um, which was later removed. <laughs> yeah, isn't it like built it's, into the keyboard? It's built into it, which was <laughs> stupid. It's just like you know, and it's one of those consoles. I think um people don't, this is back um if you know because obviously there's a, the ZX Spectrum and most microcomputers you hooked everything to it like a life support system. Right. But the Amstrad was the first uh, microcomputer to say, fuck it, we'll build everything into it. But what they don't tell you is that if anything breaks, um, you can't repair it. And you had to, oh my and God. Even, you couldn't even send it away to Amstrad to repair. They, so they, they wouldn't replace do it. the whole thing. Yeah. So you're fucked. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And next up, uh, Brett Sperry and Louis Castle established Westwood Associates in Las Vegas, Nevada. As a contract studio for Epic's EPYX of Atari and uh, Lynx fame. Um, and SSI, <laughs> which we surprisingly talked about uh, last week for the Dungeons yep. & Dragons stuff. Um, for 8-bit and 16-bit ports for the Atari ST and Amiga. So basically, these were the guys that made your high-end ports, pretty much. Yep. Um, they would later merge with Virgin in 1992, be renamed to Westwood Studios, and create the widely successful Command & Conquer series. They were purchased in EA in 1998, and in classic <laughs> EA did yes. Activision before Activision <laughs> did. They shuttered them in 2003. So what a great oh, way to, to thank them for that. But anyway, so yeah, so Westwood Associates starts in 85. Most people will know as Westwood Studios. Yes, yes, sorry. Westwood Studios starts in 85. Sweet. Uh, oh, God. Hold holiday. on. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I'm just trying to scroll down. So in the holiday in the holiday this year, uh, Nintendo releases the NES to limited test markets in New York and major urban um, FAO Schwartz stores. FAO Schwartz is a big toy store <laughs> chain. Yeah, I figured you would. Have you ever seen the movie Big? 
Yes, I have. Okay, How was that, that yeah. toy store where he dances on the piano—that's FAO Schwartz. It was oh, really yeah. only in downtown metropolitans in like the top sixteen markets. So, um, and FAO Schwartz just, from my understanding, carried a few of them. I know there were a couple hundred at the FAO Schwartz in Chicago. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, and some of my friends did get it. It was three hundred bucks. Came with Rob the Robot and Gyromite. <laughs> And you could buy Super Mario Brothers if you were lucky <laughs> enough, but much like, unlike the N64, they only had like th- like five copies of Super Mario Brothers and like fifty copies of the console, you know. So, um, but it wasn't widely known that that was the best game. You couldn't tell at that time. So, all right. Well, it turns out I get to talk about all of the fun arcade releases yet again. Now, yeah. these ones will definitely be many that you people will know. Uh, first of yeah, all, I Sega's know. Space Harrier. I do love me some Space Harrier. Yeah, I also right. love me level 24 of Bayonetta. If you haven't played it, you should. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Next up, Gradius. Gradius. Yeah. Um, very interesting game. Uh, and uh, I definitely covered it with the Shmups episode, but Gradius is probably one of my favorite series uh, that's out there. Uh, second only to its parody, Parodius. Uh, next up is Sega's Hang On, which actually used some cool uh, Mode 7 style scaling effects. If you've ever played Hang On, have you played this? Yeah. Is that motorcycle? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, more importantly, this was Yu Suzuki's first joint, yeah. um, and he would go on to make uh, Daytona USA, among others. So... Uh, that's that's his big deal. Uh, what? Did oh, Shemu as well? That guy. Or oh well, yeah, he would go on to do yeah. Shemu. I, I guess. <laughs> that game that we. Yu Suzuki through. actually is ingrained in a lot of very good games at <laughs> yeah. Sega. So, um, debatably, Shenmue's part of that list. Uh, but uh, um, Ghosts and Goblins also comes out uh, by Capcom. So that's a pretty big one. Uh, this would be the arcade version. A little game by Midway called Gauntlet. Remember Gauntlet? Yeah. Wizard needs food. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, this game was so much fun on the NES, and it sucks so much dick on the arcades. Paperboy. Paperboy. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is better on consoles. If you yeah. want to play this abortion of a video game on arcades, feel free to go to the Xbox Live Marketplace. I don't think it's been delisted. You can buy the arcade port for 5 bucks on XBLA uh, 360. So... Yay. <laughs> it's, it's on most Midway collections as well, anyway, the Paperboy game. Oh, well, there you go. So. As with a lot of that, as with, as with um, Gauntlet as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. And Mr. Jam. Uh, so, P- PC releases that go this year. Um, one of the big ones was Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, uh, Oregon Trail, um, Dragon Slayer 2, Xanadu. And of course, the big one, which has the best port on Master System, Ultima 4, Quest of the Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> you, you tempt me to want to play that on my flashcard so much. Uh, but, uh, you know what I should do? I should do a side by side of the NES port and the, and the Master System port. And we'll let the, the fans figure it out. But, uh. This is just the PC version, not the. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know. Well, and these were all pretty significant. Did you play Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? I did. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah. It was a cool geography game. I think I liked... It taught you more about places, though, than actual geography. Where in Time, which was the sequel, I think that was a little better because you used a full-blown, like, encyclopedia and learned a lot of historical events. But clearly, I'm a history buff, so that's probably why I like it more. Uh, Did you ever see the terrible TV show that was made on this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. of course. If you've never seen that uh, with the rockapella, the rockin' acapella group that sang... uh, 
the Where in the World is Carmen San Diego song. Definitely look that up on YouTube. Um, and Oregon Trail. This was a I big one. Mm. Was it as widespread in schools as it was for for us? I I, do, I don't I personally don't remember this from school, but I have I know people that say that they they rocked it at school. This one. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, in America, uh, I think Apple made a bunch of deals with educational funding. Yeah. So the Apple IIe was in like every place and Oregon Trail started coming out. But this is the beginning of edutainment, which is kind of cool. Now, the reason I bring up Dragon Slayer 2 Xanadu is because this is by Falcom. These are the guys that made like East. And then, of course, they do the Dragon Slayer series, which would become the Xanadu series. And Xanadu still has some roots of being out. And, of course, the most popular version of this game is Faxanadu, as it's better known. Yeah. But it's actually pronounced Fazanadu because it's Famicom Xanadu, which I've probably talked about on an episode or two because I like to talk about it a lot. But um, So, yeah, Faxanadu, basically, uh, the original version of that came out on PCs in 1985. So... And, of course, Quest of the Avatar, I think we've talked enough about, aside from actually talking about the yeah, game we, itself. This is the last week's podcast. <laughs> we've danced around the back door of that. Uh, maybe someday I will force myself through the Avatar trilogy and we can talk more in depth about it. But <laughs> kind of like Gary said, Retronauts already yeah. did it. So why go over that beaten path already with uh, games I've not played? <laughs> so, um, but... Uh, Oh, hold on. Who said this? Rageinator says he's never played a Carmen San Diego game. You need to. The problem is, is both games came with yeah. books, which they probably PDF'd them by now. But these books were almost yeah. necessary to play them. And in fact, I think the dr the DRM on them was they'd say like, go to page two hundred and fifty and tell me what the first letter in the upper left hand corner is or something in order to start playing the game. So that's kind of rough. But uh, they also got ports to the um, Master System and Mega Drive Carmen San Diego. That's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, but they all came with the books. I remember yeah, even the yeah. yeah, even the I think there was an NES version, and I think it came with the book too. But uh, anyway, Megadrive was a huge book. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's like a it's it's like a mini encyclopedia, like an almanac almost. But anyway, moving on to 1990, the first thing that happens at the tail end of the year is Amstrad discontinues the ZX Spectrum in the UK. Now, the ZX Spectrum had a good run. Um, by 1990, Jam, did anybody care? <laughs> well, probably what we should probably mention is that, obviously, Sinclair owned ZX Spectrum, but Amstrad brought them out. Um, when was it? Is it? I think it was 87 <clears throat> or 86. So that they started, and Amstrad started releasing their own versions of the ZX Spectrum. And they had some interesting models. I think they were the, what were they called? They were the ZX Spectrum Plus 2 and 3. Uh, there's, there's quite a few. They did, like, three different models. Uh, there's, like, yeah, ZX Spectrum Plus was one of them I'm just quickly flicking through my notes I didn't mm-hmm. notice about this earlier uh, yeah there's, pl- there's the plus they, they did the ZX Spectrum plus 2 uh, the plus 2A and the plus 3 and they look the, the keyboards were a lot better they were quite good because they were hard keyboards they weren't the elephant skin ugh, ones that I don't like <laughs> very much but, but so oh, however they did the classic Amstrad thing where they put the fucking tape deck in <laughs> the keyboard so <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the the plus three mod had the floppy disk drive in in the keyboard, which just wasn't wasn't so bad. The floppy disk drive is better, but the mm-hmm. the tape deck in it is just stupid. <laughs> but um, I don't know. That's just a, a bit of a pet peeve. For me. Although someone might correct me, but the ZX Spectrum model that the last one that Sinclair did, which is ZX Spectrum one two eight, 
uh, that was probably the nicest keyboard they ever did. And Amstrad didn't own that one. Um, but yeah, but Amstrad eventually brought them out. And being Amstrad, the company that it was, of course, the Z expression would go the way of the Dota. And you're right, Fred, people didn't really care about it by this point. Um, people were moving on. Um, probably people were more... Like, like, I feel the Amiga was even affordable the, at this point. The, the Amiga would have, would have been huge by yeah. this stage. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> oh, and here comes more microcomputer debate in the chat. <laughs> of course, yeah. But I think the next one's pretty significant for a lot of people. And I, I have to ask you a question after you do this one, so... So Europe receives the Mega Drive. Yeah. Known as the Genesis, if you haven't figured that <laughs> yeah. out yet, uh, uh, listening to this show. But, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, the reason I wanted to ask you a question was, I heard someone recently say that the SNES was more popular than the Mega Drive in Europe. Or, not in Europe, specifically in the UK. And I feel like that's counter to what I've heard. And again, you're not you're not going to speak for your whole country, no, but no, 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 no. It, your experience did it was it pretty well, even? Was it either or? Definitely where where I lived, which was you know I grew up in a very sort of like I've, yeah I'd probably say it's a sort of middle class suburban kind of area. Um, Me too. So everyone yeah. was yeah, so similar to you. Where everyone was Sega. Uh, there was the one I had one kid friend who had an NES. <laughs> it was uh, like my fact, one friend who had yeah, a Master was, System. It's, it's yeah. exactly the same, actually. Yeah. Um, one per. I don't think I don't think anyone had a SNES though. Um, there might have been one guy, but yeah. But we were, everyone was about the Sega, you know. And then when we went around kids' house, other other kids' houses, there was always Mega Drive, Mega Drive, Mega Drive was everywhere in people's houses, <laughs> but. That was the. That was just. The, that's it. Because I guess because it was the popular system amongst the, the the local school as well. That's what all the kids were talking about. That's, I can probably. I could totally um, see though if the stairs had some popularity with a small group of people. I could see everybody owning that. Because um, I know. I think Cy One was certainly correcting me a while ago um, in a different podcast that he said that the, where he was that the stairs was popular. So. Well, I knew in certain parts it was definitely popular. Like there was a lot of crazy people importing yeah. it and trying to make the. You know, trying to make it work and, and using converters and stuff. But uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. It was always my experience that uh, the the Genesis Mega Drive was more popular in the UK. Um, I gotta look that up somewhere, like actual hardcore data. So I'll look that up at some point. But uh, yes, I was just crazy. But he said he was the one guy, so he's probably the one guy I knew in the area. Saiwan <laughs> <laughs> was that one guy. I, now, how in the world could he, with him being in Australia and you being in Europe, <laughs> I don't understand how you guys could have been in the same world. But uh, apparently, though. Awesome <laughs> but uh, anyway. Yeah, so the Mega Drive, big deal, kind of big deal, and you guys had to wait. Uh, Japan got it in 88, we got it in 89, you got it in 90. Uh, that trend will continue through most of history until recently. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Next up, IDOS Interactive is founded by a company, and guess what they start off doing? I knew I loved IDOS for a specific reason. <laughs> they assisted in full motion video compression for certain computer platforms. But they yep. do and are probably most notably known for Tomb Raider and uh, later on Deus Ex. Big developers, these guys. Um, uh, they, they later become part of Square Enix and are now known as Square Enix Europe. So, IDOS, the, from, the, from the group who brought you the worst port of 
Night Trap. We now bring you and, – and again, these were FMV compression to computer platforms. So these must have been like – again, and again, this was in Europe. So these must have been like Amiga ports or something or whatever was – what was running like CD-ROM stuff these days? Like what would run Mist? What kind of computer would you have? Did you guys actually have Intel-based stuff by that point or – I believe so. Okay. Uh, but yeah, because Mist was – well, because that was like the – that, 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 that was, quite that was your CD-ROM game. Yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. Don't want to give uh, away too much about that upcoming episode I'm going to do, but uh, <laughs> you know that kind of came with your CD-ROM. It was like, oh well, don't own a CD-ROM if you're not going to take Mist, so you may as well take it. So, but uh, anyway, um, so yeah, so IDOS is formed. So next up, um, Chimerica and slash uh, Galoob released Galoob, the game. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really... it's, it's only in America. That's why Jam doesn't know it. Yeah, I was say, yeah, Galoob well, was a toy manufacturer in America. We actually bought toys from a company called Galoob. <laughs> <laughs> so they released the Game Genie, which was a big deal. Uh, so a tool to modify the code of video games by adjusting certain parts of assembler language with common code for items like life, money, points, score, continues, Jumping really high, doing weird things. And it just game. changed values, basically, in common <laughs> yeah. assembler, assembler language codes. I should point out, this version is the one for, like, the Nintendo, pretty much, the NES. So, And um, well, this and this was, the, obviously, they were challenged by Nintendo, in, at least in the US, anyway, and found to be uh, legal because the consumers can adapt code and, um, after purchase, provided it doesn't change the aesthetics and protected properties of the games themselves. Yeah, so, so our, our judges said, no, actually, as part of their ownership agreement, they can fuck with things like continues and stuff. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's as long as it's not making it. If, if Super Mario Brothers suddenly became Battletoads, they, they might have a, a problem uh, with that. But since it didn't actually change it uh, in America, we said, no, Nintendo, uh, we're allowed to do that. So, um, of course... What is Game Genie most notable for uh, when it came to uh, the Mega Drive slash Genesis or SNES was it was the easiest way because we all had different uh, plug-in types. It was the easiest way to play imports. Mm-hmm. So, yes, if you can find yourself a Game Genie for your Mega Drive or Genesis slash SNES, you can pretty much get European stuff to fit in American consoles and vice versa. And, of course, Japan uh, as well. So that's the easiest way. Uh, next up, Amiga-only developer Team 17 is formed. They are based out of a development team and a and 17-bit <laughs> studios, a demo developer. Now, demos are something I want to talk about real quick. I just found out you know, about within the last couple of years, thanks to that old-school gaming blog, which demos were actually like kind of like – they are exactly what they sound like. They're demos, but they're less of like a playable demo and more of like a demonstration of – tech or uh, a concept of a game or something like that that i guess were pretty common in europe you guys like swap demos all the time yeah yeah absolutely yeah well, see that, we know nothing of this <laughs> first time we saw a fucking demo was xbox 360 or well no <laughs> yeah. playstation underground with the playstation one with the you are not ready demos sure but i guess this was a mainstream scene for you guys already um, anyway they would release games that specifically op- that were specifically optimized to take advantage of the Amiga apparently team 17's games on the Amiga were fantastic they yeah they were um, 17 bits uh, team uh, yeah anyway yeah it was. but uh, they eventually created and still create the very widely popular worms series hmm. 
So I've never played a Worms game, although somebody who really? was very kind did gift me like the whole collection on Steam. So it was a listener, so um, I do owe it to that person and to myself probably to enjoy these. I hear Worms is great. I know what it is. I just Worms Armageddon is the best one. It well, might. there you go. And I do have <laughs> Worms Armageddon. But why start at the tip, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, you're up. Uh, so SNK releases the Neo Geo AES Advanced Entertainment System as, uh, as an in-hotel-style in arcade version of the arcade cabinet MVS system. Later, it'd be released to the public with a staggering $650 price tag for the console and a $250 per game cart. <laughs> you literally were buying cartridges yeah. on PCBs. Have you seen these? I have, yeah, yeah. I've seen the cartridges this, look yeah. like old beta cassettes. <laughs> exactly, That's exactly yeah. what they look like. And not beta cassettes that were in, like, the consumer-level beta cassettes. Like, not the random people who bought the Sony beta. I'm talking about, like, if you've ever been to a broadcast studio, the big-ass beta cassettes that are, like, bright yellow. They're huge. But uh, anyway... Um, I the coolest thing about this was that the AES was originally invented uh, to just be in hotels. It was like a way to bring arcades to hotels in each room. I thought that was pretty fantastic. And then they eventually sold it off to consumers. Hmm. So, but uh, um, yeah, yeah. The uh, have you ever been tempted to buy a Neo Geo? <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. Uh, arcade well, emulation like makes it yeah. really easy. I almost grabbed that Neo Geo X that Derek loves so much, but I heard screen tearing is one of the biggest problems with it. And it's like on I, – I think it's on Amazon for like 89 bucks for it, which is kind of That's a steal. Yeah. Um, but the screen tearing when I play it on a, a big screen TV kind of removes my interest in it. Screen tearing is terrible. Oh, and they censor all the games. Did you know that? Like Samurai oh, Showdown and everything is wow. censored. Yeah. That kind of breaks it, too. I yeah, think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, eh, I've got most of these on virtual console or random collections plus MAME. So. <laughs> uh, next up, the Turbo Express, which was literally a TurboGrafx-16 compressed into a color handheld, releases in the U.S. for the low, low price of $300. That's sarcasm. <laughs> yes. Uh, it did come bundled, though. I'm going to do a quick jump ahead. It did come bundled with uh, one of the year's most notable console releases, uh, Bonk's Adventure. The original Bonk's Adventure releases in America in 1990, and it comes bundled with the TurboGrafx-16. So if you were going to grab a Turbo Express, you may as well do it so you can get Bonk for free. Hmm. Yup. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the notable PC releases this year. So we had King's Quest VI Ultimate. the best one. <laughs> Best one. Ultima 6. Uh, that's the third in the Avatar trilogy. Uh, Wing Commander, the first one. Yeah. Uh, Commander Keen, the first oh, one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's very, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the first tycoon in a long-running tycoon series, Sid Meier's Railroad Tycoon. Did released. you ever play Sid Meier's Railroad Tycoon? I played the second one, not the first one. Okay. Yeah. Are those any good? I've never played the Railroad Tycoon. I played the later ones. Um, well, my favorite was always Transport Tycoon. I don't know why, but that's like the first big one I went to. <laughs> so, I was always drawn to like the ripoffs, like theme park. Yeah, 
oh, theme yeah, park was a huge ripoff, and then uh, still one of my most prized games. It's boring as hell to watch someone play it, but it's a lot of fun to play yourself. Is the Jurassic Park Park Builder? <laughs> Trees Lounge talked me into buying that. I bought it on the PS2 for fifty fucking dollars. <laughs> And it's like a 300 megabyte CD, too. That's the worst part. It's the smallest game. Apparently, if you want to fuck around with it a lot, though, there it is Abandonware, and there is a PC port that's playable in Windows 7, but you got to mess with a lot of stuff. Uh, but anyway. Um, notable console releases. Super Mario Bros. 3 in the U.S. It would go on to sell 17 million-plus copies. This was crazy because, Jam, we didn't have pre-orders or anything, so you'd literally yeah. drive by a Toys R Us. There'd be a big banner that says, we have Super Mario Bros. 3, and you'd, like, leap across the front seat and, like, grab the wheel from your mother <laughs> and just kind of spin it, you know, to try to get your hands on this damn game. It came out in the summer, too, so every kid was out of school, and if your mom worked, like mine, and you didn't have a house mom, like a housewife mom, then you were kind of fucked because... You know, Tuesday afternoon at like one o'clock, your buddy Rusty would call you on on the the home phone, and he'd be like, "Oh my God, I heard the Toys R Us just got Mario Three. We got to go up there right now." You know, and so yeah, yeah, I did get my hands on a copy, but it took me a, a little while. I think I got it in July or something. But next up, Snake's Revenge. Uh, this pissed off Kojima because <laughs> Snake's Revenge is not. Part of Hideo Kojima's oh, group. Yeah, it was released under Ultra, which was Konami's secondary company, so they could release ten games a year instead of five. Um, but uh, it was based off of some bullshit American action game, and it was kind of terrible. Um, and Kojima was just pissed off because Snake's Revenge on the uh, MSX2 came out. Um, or not Snake's Revenge, sorry. Uh, Solid Snake. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we couldn't play it over here, so... Uh, also, Final Fantasy releases in the U.S. Uh, this is a big deal. It would sell almost a million copies on the Nintendo. Pretty significant wow. for a JRPG in this country. Mega Man 3, which is fantastic. Still one of the debated which one's better, 2 or 3. Yeah. I'm still one who's in the 2 camp, but we're really like literally comparing like what's better, a 99 scale game or an, a 98. You know, it's like, mm. doesn't really matter much. But anyway... <clears throat> All right, and we're going to have to uh, wrap this up. We're going late. We'll probably only get through to 95. But uh, anyway, Jim, why don't you kick off with uh, a very wonderful story from 95. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I'm probably going to put their surnames. I do know, I do know this guy. Uh, not personally, of course, but I'm familiar with this story. Uh, Doctors Ray uh, Mazika. Zika and Greg Zischuk. <laughs> and Just call them Ray and Greg. Everybody else does. Ray, Greg, and Augustine. Um, they form Bioware, basically. Yep. <laughs> in um, in um, in Canada. Uh, well, specifically Ed and Edmonton, Alberta. Edmonton, Alberta. Alberta. Which is yeah, weird. I always thought Bioware was fucking um, British, and they're they're Canadian. I thought, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, if you've talked to the guys, they're clearly not British, but I thought right. they formed there, so I don't know. But uh, anyway. So they used the capital from their doctorate programs and jobs to generate $100,000 for game development, specifically um, of pen and paper games. Uh, Shattered Steel was their mech warrior, proof of concept, but they gained high praise for Baldur's Gate, which is what uh, at least the old fans will be most familiar with. Yes. Uh, they did the, the the original Baldur's Gate series 1 and 2, uh, which recently got... Um, were they HD remakes, Fred, or were they just remakes? They no, they re- were enhanced remakes. Enhanced, yeah. So yeah, they actually, uh, again, as Gary said, a lot of the gameplay remains intact, so they don't change the gameplay up much which 
ask any Halo fan if you dare touch the gameplay. But um, <laughs> of course. but they did enhance like user interface, UI stuff, and graphics, which is probably what people want. So mm. both of both of the originals and the re- redone versions are both on GOG at the moment. So yes, they are. So you go check those out and Steam. Uh, and if you Steam, want the enhanced yeah. ones, they're on Steam. So. And of course, most people, at least mod- like nowadays, people know Bioware for uh, Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire, and of course the recent Mass Effect and Dragon Age series. Sorry for leaving out your favorite jam. Sorry. <laughs> In our notes, I put KOTOR, oh, Mass you. Effect, and Dragon Age. Uh, also, interesting side note since we're talking about it. Uh, if you don't know this, the reason Knights of the Old Republic 1 and Knights of the Old Republic 2 are very distinct in style and also in quality... Um, is because uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2 was actually handled by Obsidian, which is former Black Isle guys who did Icewind Dale, which was the biggest competitor to Baldur's Gate at the time in the 90s. So it's interesting. But they they were always like – they weren't true competitors. They were always just kind of interwoven with one another. But uh, anyway. So and they, uh, Black Isle also did fall out, but they're not related to this. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. Since I've told this story a million times, I'm going to just say uh, in 1995 at E3, Sega foils <laughs> their future plans with their Saturn announcement, and Sony steps up and owns E3 with their yeah. 299.99 price point. If you have not heard this story, we have told it so many times; it's not even funny. Uh, I believe it's on the birth of the PlayStation <laughs> one. If not, I know we've told it a couple of times. So uh, if you look in our back catalog for stuff that would most likely discuss that, that's it. Oh, I think we did an E3 episode. I definitely talk about it on that one. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway. That's brilliant. So um, moving on to, well, God, we're really at the beginning of the year still as well. So January 18th, um, Nintendo sued Samsung for piracy. Uh, Nintendo alleges that Samsung, one of the largest producers of the Mask-on chips in the SNES games, uh, sold off pirated copies of games to third parties. Pirated copies of Donkey Kong Country were seized by Nintendo when, when they brought them back to the lab, it revealed that the chips were Samsung chips and contained the original code. So Samsung fired back, stated that they sold the chips to third parties but can't be held responsible for what's on the chips they sent. Um, <laughs> Imagine if you tried to pull that shit nowadays. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, gaming politics in the 90s. I know, right? <laughs> So, uh, Samson responds in February with the uh, defamation lawsuit, and in April, both sides settled out of court. The settlement was the dropping of both suits uh, entirely, without any payments exchanged hands, and Samson showing information to assist in hunting down pirates. Yeah, so basically, Samsung was selling companies yeah. that probably were, they probably had an idea that they were making pirated games, but they didn't know for sure. And the pirates were buying all these chips from Samsung because they were overflow for Donkey Kong Country carts, and they had the original code burned into them. And the idea was that you would take these mask ROMs and burn your own data onto them. But these guys were instead just buying mass in mass these clearance chips from Samsung and uh, <laughs> recreating Donkey Kong Country carts. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. They could get away with it. <laughs> it's one of Nintendo's very interesting lawsuits, although I don't think a lot of people remember that from 95, because the SNES was kind of old news at that point. Yeah. Like, who was buying pirated copies of Donkey Kong Country? And Nintendo was alleging they were selling for 60 bucks. I know wow. Donkey Kong Country wasn't that expensive in my country. So, <laughs> must have been some... Uh, some uh, non-traditional distribution chains. But uh, anyway, July 21st, Nintendo's first 32-bit console, the Virtual Boy, releases. Oh, Almost immediately fails. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> Gunpei Yokoi, who was the inventor of it, but he was also the inventor of many things like the Game & Watch and the Game Boy, um, 
gets shunned basically by Nintendo at this point. Um, he'll go on to make the Wonder Swan with Namco, um, but he's kind of never really seen in a good light uh, with Nintendo. And the reason I talk about this is they shun him like this, then he dies in a car accident, and then they steal his design for the DS. Kind of mm-hmm. sucks. But so, uh, yeah, that's, shit. that's business. I mean, again, Nintendo's not doing any true ill wills on it, but anyway. And then, uh, well, in August, and Nintendo finally discontinues the NES. Finally, after <laughs> ten yep. years, ten years. So, um, and actually, I'm going to see if we can maybe squeeze out 2000. I think we can get it in because yeah. 95 and gaming we recently talked about on our Christmas episode. You guys remember that one? Go back and listen to it. It was our holiday one. We talked about Dark Forces, Rise Star, Chrono Trigger, and basically everything else that came out this year. <laughs> so we're going to move on to 2000 real quick. Um, oh, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, anyway, Obsidian is better than Bioware is the debate in the <laughs> chat. Join yeah. in next week. Anyway, in 2000, PopCap is founded by John Vecchi, Brian Fiente, and Jason Kapalka for the purpose of taking existing online games, i.e. Flash games is probably what yep. most people knew them as, <laughs> and bettering them. They began this with Bejeweled, which was one hell of a hit, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and then they continued on to a couple of other titles you may have heard of, like Zuma, Peggle, and Plants vs. Zombies, and their yeah. subsequent re-releases. So yeah, PopCap knew what it was doing. <laughs> and to so say, moving on to April, um, uh, Reuters report that the Trade Ministry of Japan has export controls placed on it because it was determined that the release, the released only in Japan at the time, PS2 was enough sophistication for military applications. <laughs> Basically, it can control a bombs, so yes. they needed export control. <laughs> I remember that story actually. Yeah, Jam, are you familiar with what export controls are? No. These are just, like, policies that are put in place that basically means the the government can intercept and control the exporting of devices when they could potentially have military applications. If it's going to compromise their safety to export it, they can, you know, block it. Now, clearly, the PS2 didn't really have many issues with exports um, however, I'm kind of curious as to how that all works out. I need to go do more research because at this point there is an SCEE, an SCEA, and an SCEJ, which are Sony Computer Entertainment of America, Europe, and Japan, which then does not require exporting to other countries, right? They can manufacture in those countries. Um, I'm wondering how that all works nowadays, but I think ever since the PlayStation 2, there has been export controls on any console. Um, but PCs run the same thing for that matter like i might be sending jam a computer i'm gonna have to write a fucking paperwork like you wouldn't believe to send it to him and they they could stop it they're not going to but they could potentially at any time block the export so it's called export control that's what it is mm-hmm. anyway uh july 21st is very significant because mario tennis releases which introduces <laughs> waluigi the best fucking character, best character in <laughs> nintendo i love waluigi me and dan Riker. it's the only thing we agree on uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, all right, and last but not least, we've got a slew of games. So, Jam, why don't you look over this list real quick? I'm going to talk about one I like. We'll go back and forth for about three or four minutes, and we'll call this one a fucking wrap. So, 2000, probably the most significant game that comes out is. oh code veronica yes i'll give it to you well but here's the problem okay no because these all fucking blend this is why i hate these wikipedia lists yeah these all fucking blend america europe and japan i'm pretty sure 
No, wait. God damn it. it I think Resident Evil did come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My bad. Yeah, that was out. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that did come out in every uh, territory in 2000. So, yeah. Code Veronica. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're up, stud. I, was, I, I, I thought that was my choice. So I was just oh, that is your choice? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll give my real choice. Uh, Deus Ex comes out January, June 26th. Yeah fucking amazing game i do one of my more proud write-ups of that game on gaming history 101 and if you've never played it i highly recommend you try it mm-hmm. so perfect dark comes out this year n64 yes yes it does best than uh, gold yeah <laughs> to say. bam we put it right on there fucking <laughs> nailed it uh any fighter fan will definitely remember the dreamcast release of marvel versus capcom 2 Dreamcast was a weird heavy fighter console, and the reason I say it's weird that it's a heavy fighter console is that controller's fucking terrible for fighters, <laughs> but uh, we played a lot of them on there, and that's one of them, and uh, I will I will forever remember playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2 with a bunch of friends on the Dreamcast. Uh, Majora's Mask came out this year, Zelda. It uh, did, and oh, ruined just... everyone. Nobody liked that game, like, <laughs> pretty unanimously. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a game I always wanted to play. I finally did get to live up and play it um, when uh, uh, Alice Re- or Madness Returns came out on the PS3 and Xbox 360. But uh, American McGee's Alice. American McGee was a famed uh, id software. Um, I think he was a Quake level designer or something. He was definitely part of the core group of id that did all those first-person shooters. He branches out and does the first of many uh, Twisted Fairy Tale Stories with American McGee's Alice. I also have a write-up of this on Gaming History 101. I recommend you check it out, and if you're interested, it does come free with any copy of Madness Returns yeah. bought new. So, mm-hmm. something to think about. Well, I think you can doubt, even if you get it used, I think the deal... Oh, that's right. I forgot. Is- they changed mm-hmm. that. The season pass is no longer gone. You yeah, still so have to have a copy of the game to play You it, do, though. but that's only because it uses the Madness Return engine to play the game, and that's how mm-hmm. they... They, they they gate it. So you can go download it now, but you have to have, like Jam said, a copy of the game in order to open it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Spyro, the Year of Dragon comes out this year. I thought that was relevant because we mentioned it last, we talked about it last year. It's the third game in the PS1 series. And a fantastic game at yeah. that. Great series. Um, well. In a weird kind of juxtaposition, Tomb Raider <laughs> Chronicles releases, and it's God. not great. <laughs> not great at all. <laughs> And Hitman, Hitman Code 47 also releases, and it's actually pretty damn great. So, there you go. Banjo-Tooie comes out. (laughs) Great title. Deep right here. (laughs) All right, fine, I'll do it. Apparently, you guys think this game, Incredible Crisis, is supposed to be great, and it came out. Oh, that game is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm going to have to get my hands on that fucking game. Um you're up. There's uh, there's a couple more we definitely need to mention, but uh, unless you want me to just take over, <laughs> I don't. I don't mind. Man. Uh, well, I was gonna say, do we dare mention Shemu again? <laughs> I need to play that and figure out if it's <laughs> shit or not. I hear I hear it's like tens of hours though. But uh, anyway, uh, okay, real quick to wrap up. Definitely yep. one's worth talking about. Diablo two comes out. That's kind of a big deal yeah. for a lot of people. As is Icewind Dale. In fact, on June 29th, two thousand, that was when fucking every pc gamer just disappeared for a decade and we never saw them again streets were empty (laughs) yeah um uh jet set radio hits for the dreamcast love that fucking game also known as jet grind radio in our country do you know which one you guys got did you call it jet radio it was jet set okay it's a better title i don't know why we called it jet grind radio (laughs) but uh 
Um, and there was, damn it, there was one or two others. I, I guess we could point out that Grindr came out. Chrono Cross, yeah, I've never played it. I have it, but I've never played it. Is that game uh, super long? It probably is, isn't it? I'm not too sure. Probably. And uh, oh, sorry. I was gonna say a big one for me: Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two. That was yes, huge. Yes. That one had Spider-Man as an unlockable character. Big <laughs> deal for me. Um, and last but not least, we're going to wrap up with uh, one of my favorite games, Rayman 2, The Great Escape. Oh, brilliant, yeah. That was re-released on 3DS if you want to play 3DS Rayman. But uh, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, me and Chip Sella did a pretty good Rayman episode uh, for Gaming History 101, so you can go check that out. But uh, All right, well, I think we're going to wrap it up. So mm-hmm. um, we didn't get to 2005, but uh, uh, it's interesting Oh, fuck, I really did want to talk about 2005. Maybe I'll jump on and do an extra credit or something. I'm not sure. I don't know. Jam and I will talk afterwards. But anyway, in the meantime, you can find us at GamingHistory101.com. We are here every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on AllGames.com. Damn it, 42 level 1. If you hadn't gone long, we would have been able to sneak it in. Anyway, I'm just kidding, guys. Love you. Uh... But yeah, in the meantime, uh, get your hands on a copy of Snatcher. Hopefully the emulation tips earlier in the show helped you out and uh, you can have some fun and uh, check out all our stuff. And we'll be back next week. Um, I think I know the topic, but I forgot to write it down. So instead of just ruining it, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, Peace out. All right. Do not adjust your podcasts. We... uh, (laughs) We just said peace out, and now we're coming back to wrap it up because we have all the time in the world once we're off on the live show. So uh, here's the reason why you might want to come back and uh, listen after the live shows. We are not going to discuss the games of 2005, but I figured we would talk about 2005 because it was a very significant time because it rolled out a lot of the newest generation uh, or the most recent generation that just passed. Uh, there's also some cool litigation and stuff in America. So, Mr. Jem Elias, why don't you kick us off with one of the first things that happened in 2005? Okay, so one of the first things in May the 12th, um, Elijah Wood hosts on MTV special that reveals the Xbox 360 and announces days to be released this, in that holiday season of that year um, in all three major regions, which is a big deal, actually, especially in the UK and PAL territories, because usually we get everything late. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and it did. It came out uh, It came out for everyone uh, in the main three regions. Again, the, there's a lot more regions now than there were in the days of Sega. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, I thought this was pretty cool. Like, all of a sudden on MTV, boom, it's this massive commercial for... Uh, um, for the Xbox 360. And I don't know about you, Jam, but I was pretty down on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The $400 price tag, everybody pretty much thought that the PS3 was going to release something that was literally stronger than computers, which may be from a hardcore, you know, unlearned text, excuse me, standpoint, that's kind of true. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was pretty down on the 360, and as we see... Dare I say, it was probably, at least for the largest part of that generation, the most the most impressive of the three consoles. Yeah, I think it had a great launch, actually. It came with, you know, for the time, very quite impressive games. And um, Yeah, I'm trying to remember, you know, because Bullet Witch, like, everybody played that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was kind of like... No, no, like, I'm kidding. It, it yeah. had some... 
Wasn't Gears by the end of that year? No, that was 2006. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like, yeah. Condemned? Yeah. I, to this day, I want to. I, I need to replay through Condemned. That's a great game. I have it on PC now, too. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I can get in full 1080p. Whoop, whoop. But that <laughs> game is fucking scary. Hmm. <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, that that was pretty big. It also meant that because uh, uh, E3 happened on May 17th, started on May 17th. So it was like a week early. And this is kind of one of those first things where Microsoft, I think they've continued to do it almost every E3 where they're like, you know what? Our big announcements are going to hit before the show. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get the big stuff out of the way so you guys can universally talk about it on the Internet. And then we'll let you talk about everything else, right? And it's kind of a smart strategy. Because it always keeps Microsoft stuff top of mind. Yeah. Um, not to be outdone on May 16th, four short <laughs> days later, Sony jumps up and releases the Batarang or, and announce, uh, reveals the Batarang PlayStation 3. Do you, guys, do you remember the original design of this with the silver yeah. Batarang controller? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Imagine Rude if that would have released. That was fantastic. <laughs> anyway, um, in its pre-E3 press conference, which it also did, um, but the big hit here was that it announced it wouldn't be available till holiday 2006 and early 2007 in Europe. You know what that tells me, Jam? That tells me you got a whole 18 months if you're yep. ready to buy a new console before you can get your hands on a PS3. And they haven't even told you that jaw-dropping price yet. Uh, yeah. Remember, they I don't announce right that till E3 2006 when, when they go, 600 bucks, get a second job. And everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, so that was, that was a pretty big year. I remember everyone just going, oh, shit. And, you know, at that time, without releasing the specs, the, I was. I was a PlayStation fanboy through and through. PlayStation 1 and 2 were, were my consoles. And no, in fact, I was weird. I didn't like the PlayStation 2 as much as the Xbox. Xbox was my console. I, I did love the Xbox, yeah. It, it was a beefier console than the PS3, though, and or the PS2. And I've always kind of gone for brute strength. Mm. Um... And so that kind of makes sense. But uh, I remember saying, no, I'm going to go the PS3 route. And I did. And I paid dearly for it in those first two <laughs> years. Um, but I had a 360 as well. So there you go. <laughs> but I didn't buy them till the same time. I bought the Wii, the PS3, and the 360 all in the same holiday season. Wow. <laughs> well, because I was one of those terrible people who I bought my PS3 to have a PS3 at launch. Mm -hmm. And then they became really scarce. And so I remember <laughs> telling my co-host Hefe on Pixelated Pints, Let's throw our consoles up on uh, on eBay for like fifteen hundred bucks. And if they sell, we sell them. If they don't, we keep them. Hefe's did not sell. He kept his. Oh. Mine did, and they were the same listings. Like we both together made each other's listings, and they had the exact same thing in them. In them. <laughs> so uh, it was weird. But Hefe's didn't sell. Mine did. So he kept his. I sold mine, and then I took that fifteen hundred and turned around and uh, bought a Wii at launch. Because it sold before the Wii, so I just said, fuck it, I'll jack up that credit card. And bought a 360 that same morning at a Best Buy. Um, and then uh, and then saved the 700 or whatever I needed to uh, in the spring that year uh, when the PS3 came out. Grabbed a PS3 and Resistance, and there was really nothing else to buy for like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? When Resistance was your only choice, you really appreciated that game. And I still stand by that game yeah. is no Halo killer, but the original Resistance yeah. was pretty fucking good. In fact, it might be the best of the three. I would actually agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it wasn't bad. I think it's just the for the time. I think because because the free the three sixty had that head start 
Well, we'll, we'll well they had better options. I mean, Resistance yeah. still isn't as good as Gears, and there's nothing you can do to compete with that, right? <laughs> and then they had nothing that next year, and we had Halo 3, and it was like, oh, Jesus. You know, and Rainbow Six Vegas, you remember a lot of those really popular games on the 360, like Rainbow Six Vegas and stuff like that, those were Unreal games. Unreal did not work on the PS3 until about 2009. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway... We're going a little off on a side tangent, but yeah, I remember all that stuff. So, uh, but Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about a uh, a little GTA action that yeah. happened in two thousand five? So, in July twentieth, the hot coffee mod is discovered on GTA San Andreas and leads to Rockstar pulling the game off shelves, mm. uh, re-rating it to AO. Was that adult, adult oh yeah, that's adults doing? only in America. And the yeah. reason I point this out is, aside from a handful of porn games on PC. That's never that rating's never yeah. flown. Um, I believe GameStop is the only ones who continued carrying it with that rating um, out of our big box retailers, and now GameStop even has a policy that they won't carry AO. So, and um, they also offer the trading program for owners of the original to get a new version without the hot coffee mod. Yeah, um, I thought it was great because right, yeah. they've always said OGTA oh, is not for kids, and then they're like parents. You can mail us yeah. that disc and we'll swap it out. And it's like, what? <laughs> oh, you Brits. <laughs> oh, dear. I, 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 I still to this day don't get the fuss of the hot coffee thing. It is, well, it's, especially was, when you look at what's in GTA it, it, 5. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and With people first person. About that. Nobody cares. Fox News did not care. <laughs> yeah. But if... Um, People are grinding with their clothes on. Apparently that goes... They were basically grinding with their clothes on in hot coffee also. If you guys have never looked this up, it's laughable. My, yeah. my, I could be more vulgar with a Ken doll. Even for the time. For the time Even was... for the time it was laughable. It's probably why they cut it because they thought it was shit, not because they thought it was that controversial. Um, but uh, anyway... <laughs> but they did eventually re-release the game with M Racing and Rockstar pays out for purchase of the original. Yeah, so. did you guys have this where, like, if you had the original and you had... I think you needed a receipt or a UPC code from the original, and if you if you gave it to you would send it in to Rockstar, and they would mail you a check for like twenty six bucks or something. We we because we are our age certificate over here was eighteen, which is the maximum anyway. So right. we didn't have any of this stuff going on because it was the the game every GTA game was slapped with an eighteen certificate. That's like our that's our max. It's the BBFC, right? And that's our M kind of like AO yeah. is possible but ao is like an unreachable like it yeah. never should have hit shells with the ao rating so um maybe it's just that you guys are a little open-minded to, a little more open-minded to sex than our stupid asses well i think we are over here and, and also well i remember in the media over here did not care as much as america did we're just like it's just like oh it's a sex thing who cares <laughs> so, yeah yeah because don't you guys have like boobs in your advertising and stuff sometimes I thought it wasn't rare to see, like, in a magazine ad or on TV oh, late at magazines, night, like, definitely, na- na- yeah. nudity. <laughs> magazines, definitely. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe after 9 o'clock, yeah, you'll get some <laughs> more raw shit. We yeah, can't yeah, even yeah. say shit after 9 o'clock. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like, we're real puritanical, which is weird, because we are totally responsible for the most offensive acts the world has ever known. <laughs> One thing that's quite funny over here, I don't think they still do it anymore because radio's not as popular as it used to be, but radio um, stations used to have condom adverts playing across the day, all day, every day, oh, any, any time. We <laughs> so, didn't have that. For some reason, condoms <laughs> yeah. were okay because you couldn't see them. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah. 
uh, we didn't care that there was sex going on. It's just you couldn't show it. Yeah, I think it was all showing it, too. Like, if you literally want to do a radio program... In fact, Howard Stern did it. You do a radio program where you hear people having sex. That's fine, provided that you can't see it. <laughs> but anyway. Um, all right, we got a couple more, and we'll wrap this up. But on November 29th, Senators Hillary Clinton, Joe Lieberman, Tim Johnson, and Evan by these fucking Democrats... Introduce, uh, and to be clear, I'm talking about the, the Democratic Party as it relates to video games, not my personal politics. Uh, introduce FIPA, the family, which is not to be mistaken for FUPA, um, the Family Entertainment Protection Act. It's intended to enforce, this is only in America, Jam, of course, um, oh. to enforce the ESRB ratings in the U.S. to prevent children from seeing inappropriate content. You know, because the streets <laughs> of New York could never Absolutely. provide that for them. But anyway... <laughs> yeah. Um, penalties included $1,000 and 100 hours of community service for the Whoa. first offense of selling any M or AO rated game to a child under the age of 17. $5,000, 500 hours of community service for each additional offense. It was also pretty much agreed that any retailer who had an employee um, get caught with this would pretty much ter- – they would have a policy that they would terminate that employee. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was also, I can't remember if the penalties were going to be, I think it was for the individual. There are many times they've tried to go after stores. You'll never be able to get Walmart to accept a fine for when one of its employees sells something like that. I just don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, But like with selling cigarettes to kids, I'm pretty sure that's to the employee, not to the store itself. But then the store gets notified that the employee violated it. And usually it ends in them getting fired. (laughs) (laughs) The Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, which is kind of our business, they kind of just manage all of our business encounters, um, would investigate the ESRB for accuracy in ratings annually so annually they would go over and say you know you gave this a t and it really should have been an m you know and they're like i have no idea what you're talking about blood rain's a great game um but uh next up it requires the bureau of consumer protection something i didn't know we had the bcp to handle citizen complaints of misleading or misrepresented ratings versus content this no one talks about i think this is the most important part of this whole thing it basically means that any mom who sees a game and doesn't agree with the rating can suddenly write in and cause a big hullabaloo investigation over anything they see that's offended and i don't know if you know this jam but it doesn't take a active imagination to offend the average white american housewife <laughs> so especially <laughs> the mother yet. of three boys or something jesus christ <laughs> Can you only imagine they would the Bureau of Consumer Protection would have literally had to reestablish an entire new team of probably hundreds of employees to deal with all the bullshit claims that would come in. And they'd all be about the same game, GTA. <laughs> yeah, usually. <it> anyway, <laughs> uh, next up, the Federal Trade Commission would also annually audit big box retailers randomly for compliance, much like they do in various other things. Um, it was passed into the Senate Committee uh, uh, for Commerce, and then it was never became a bill. Basically, uh, they, uh, the Senate Committee was like, yeah, we'll look into it, Ms. Clinton. Fuck <laughs> this thing. And then when the 2009 Congress uh, convened after their two years, uh, it had never been brought up, and therefore it never became a bill. So, 
Anyway, interesting uh, piece of litigation that I've always been against, and it's one of many reasons why I hate Hillary uh, Rodham Clinton. Not, not because of her politics, not because of who she is, but more because of the one of the most censorship-heavy concepts I've ever seen in our country, and yet she calls herself a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting to me how the Democrats, in trying to be left-wing and liberal, tend to have some of the more conservative policies. The Republicans never give a fuck about GTA. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're up. <laughs> so, moving on from that, so Tropica Games, developer of Vampire uh, Troika. Mask. Troika. Troika. Games. Yeah. Troika Games. Yeah, it's uh, a weird developer- name. <laughs> developer of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines closes down due to lack of projects. I.e. none. <laughs> yeah, basically they were asked <laughs> to make Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, and it was, was it. met with mixed reviews, and then no one wanted them to make a game ever again. <laughs> now, you listen to Watch Out for Fireballs, correct? Yep, that's right. Okay. Gary, who was on last week, for those of you listening who don't haven't listened to it yet or don't remember, um, he does the Watch Out for Fireballs podcast. One of their first episodes was Masquerade, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Mm. Um, have you heard that episode? I've heard that one yet. Though. Okay. If you never play that game, and that game's hard to play, it's really hard to run yeah. on Windows. It has almost no way to play it with a controller, and even if you do, you need so many inputs, it's no fun. And I just can't do it. I think I even talked to Gary about that on last week's episode. Um, that episode is a great way to get your hands on it. I see the draw to Vampire the Masquerade. Um, but much like various other games, including Baldur's Gate that Gary recommended, the gameplay is shit. <laughs> so that's why these game club podcasts are probably the best way to experience it. Yeah. I'm not going to say that to Baldur's Gate. He actually said we need to play it. So we're yeah, going to yeah, play yeah. it. But uh, Or not Baldur's Gate. I'm sorry. Planescape uh, Torment. Planescape <laughs> Torment. Um, but with Vampire the Masquerade, yeah, unless you're really feeling it and you've got a gaming PC that can support it, um, preferably that's running XP. I was going to uh, say, yeah, it has to be an old one as well. <laughs> you're probably going to want to just listen to that episode. <laughs> Uh, December 12th, Working Designs. This will be our last story. Uh, on December 12th, Working Designs, the wonderful localization firm led by Victor Ireland. You know these guys? These guys were previously Gaijin Games. They brought over Lunar and on the Sega CD and Vi and uh, Valise and things like that. They they were responsible. Maybe they didn't bring over Valise. Uh, but anyway, they were responsible for a lot of stuff in the Sega CD and CD world. And then, of course, on PlayStation, they did a ton of stuff. They did the Lunar re-releases and various other things. And uh, they would continue on through the PlayStation 2. But, of course, right at the end of the PlayStation 2, they uh, they had to shutter their doors uh, due to poor business conditions. Basically, they weren't making enough profit on what they were costing to localize these things. Uh, many criticized that Working Designs had not released non-PlayStation games since the early Saturn days. I think that's some fanboy talk there. I don't really think that had they supported Sega... And their imports, and Nintendo wouldn't let them near their imports, uh, <laughs> probably wouldn't have saved working designs in any way, shape, or form. I don't know about you, but now are you familiar with their work? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fairly familiar with their work. Like if you go look up working designs list, like it's hard to name them off, but if you go look up working designs list, you're like, holy shit, yeah, I know these. Um, yeah, yeah. And again, their biggest thing is they're all quality. That's why yeah, Lunar, yeah. the Silver Star story on the PlayStation 1 or even on the Sega CD, it's worth one price, which is decent but moderate um disc only and then it's worth a lot more if you have it complete because of their awesome instruction manuals and boxes and stuff plus they had gorgeous art that was always on their cd covers do you remember that 
Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, if you've ever seen the Lunar CD covers or various others. There's a there's a shooter game, like an on-rail shooter, that somebody told me to buy in the early days of Gaming History 101, and I have it. But uh, Elemental Gear Bolt is the name of it. Yeah, and uh, that's a working designs game. And it's a, it's not only a fantastic game, it's got awesome art on the disc. So, <laughs> But yes. Um, and other than that, there are notable releases, but we're not going to talk about them. But I think that puts us done with... Uh, with the Ot Fives. That's it. So, um, all right, man. Well, until next week, why don't you enjoy yourself some Snatcha? <laughs> Get some Snatch. Peace out. <laughs>